Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, April 20th, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Got a lot of breaking stories this morning. We've got a story here uh, with an unnamed IRS criminal supervisory agent who wants some um, some protections to speak about some allegations on this. Um, I'm going to hear his words. You ready? High-profile and politically sensitive investigation that he is arguing has been hindered um, by the preferential treatment in politics. So that's uh, that's that's potentially a big story. But I want to go back to. I mean, it's 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 obvious. I mean, there are certain things that we say, and they become so normalized that we don't understand how significant they are. Great minds think alike. Come to mind. I mean, that's just random. I mean, I didn't think about it, didn't prepare about it, didn't write it down or anything. That's great minds think alike. Uh, you know what I mean? That's just what I woke up this morning yeah. rambling about in my head. Okay. Um, I watched Tucker intentionally last night. Okay. I mean, I wanted to hear what Tucker had to say because he's been, is it fair to say that Tucker is a mixed bag in this Fox Dominion settlement? He did allow someone to come on the show and say things that weren't true. But at some point in time, he said, I'm not letting that liar back on anymore. I mean, when, I mean, he, when he asked and for the proof and he suspected that they may not have the evidence, I mean, uh, he did the right thing. Well, he reached he out to Laura Ingram. But I guess he did as much as he could do. I mean, Tucker's not the CEO of Fox News. I mean, he's a highly compensated, very important and key employee. It's almost like Fox News is the aircraft carrier, and Tucker's one of their top guns. You know, he is probably the top gun right now uh, in regards to that. So, I mean, he can't run Fox News. I mean, Tucker can't bust in the board meeting and say, um, you know, I demand an explanation. I demand we do this or I demand uh, we do that. But I was very interested in what Tucker's strategy would be because he is skillful. I mean, he's, he's very skillful. He has great producers. Uh, not as good as I, but he has great producers. <laughs> right. He has, right. Um, you know, competent writers. He is a, a really bright man uh, with a big audience. So, so there's a lot of energies there um, that, that, you know, made it important for me to watch his, his show last night. And he kind of sort of came out swinging, and he said some of the same things that we talked about yesterday uh, and we'll talk about today on our podcast. we got a podcast that will drop at 10 o'clock this morning or 10-ish. I don't know exactly 10, but somewhere around um, 10 o'clock. And we, um, we recounted. We did a podcast on Dominion Fox Tuesday that we recorded Monday. So we recorded one Monday. It drops on Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, Fox makes the deal with Dominion. And the podcast on that day was dated. Fair? I mean, we do yep. the best we can. But it was dated. It was dated by day. So we came back yesterday. We did another podcast about Dominion and Fox. It will drop this morning. And it's much more um, It's much more timely than the one we did uh, Monday. We ain't getting all of these exactly right, rest assured. But, um, but on this point, we did. I want to go to Tucker. Because Tucker led by, by I mean, insinuating indirectly that there's some regret there. I mean, it didn't say, hey, I regret letting Sidney Powell on my show. I regret Rudy Giuliani on my show. It's obvious that Fox has decided we're moving on. I mean, we paid the, the bill. We're moving on. We're not, you know, the, the less said, the better off we are. <laughs> it's settled. We're done. I mean, we wrote a big check. That's, um, that's water under the bridge. We're moving on uh, to the great frontier. So, so Tucker didn't go there. And I would imagine Tucker had some marching orders. Um, once again, I, he has a lot of influence. He's a highly compensated top gun pilot, but he doesn't run the organization. So the organization appears to have made a decision to not reflect, not dwell, move on. 
Uh, the future is bright. Tucker went down the road that I went down yesterday about, okay, um, Fox News paid a serious price for misleading its audience and financially damaging a company that they argued was doing something they couldn't prove. And it's not, Rev, and I think Jeff made a good point yesterday, it's not that Fox allowed somebody on the air to say something that was not true. That's going to happen today. I mean, somebody on CNN will go on the air and say something that is not true. Well, they invite guests all the time. And they ask them questions and they give their answer, which is an opinion or their assumption of fact, right? But, But when you knowingly and willingly let someone on your network that says something financially harming to a private enterprise, you get into defamation lawsuits. I mean, that's where you get into the, um, you know, the, 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 the modern definition. Now you got public officials and the media and uh, the, the inexactness of the science, so to speak. But Tucker began, uh, but not apologizing, but saying, you know, networks sometimes let people on to say things that aren't true. And I'm like, where's he going here? And then he said, like those networks that let, you know, um, the vaccine hawkers, mm. the hucksters, um, the hustlers, the vaccine hustlers uh, on their airwaves saying that there was no side effects, that there was no mortality associated, that, the morbidity, that there was, um, it, it was as, as, as pristine as you could imagine when they knew that was not the case. So it looks to me that Fox News has directed its biggest star um, down the road of, we ain't the only ones doing this. I mean, rest assured, there are a lot of other media outlets letting people on, saying things that aren't true, that could be even more damaging and harmful to the American people than whether a voting machine was um, was programmed, the software had been distorted and manipulated in a way that overcounted Democrats, undercounted uh, Republicans. That seems to be the strategy of Fox News. And Fox News will not be bullied. I mean, they made a big mistake. We went into great specificity and detail. I'm not defending what Fox did. I think they made a mistake. They paid an enormous price. The largest defamation case in the history of American media. Second is the pink slime case with uh, with Disney's, Disney being the parent company of, of ABC News. But it looks that Fox, it looks to me that Fox is going to take the strategy or angle of what about MSNBC? What about CNBC? They didn't say that. I mean, they didn't say, hey, what are they doing over at MSNBC? Uh, imagine what they're doing at CNBC or at CNN when they let these um, these financially motivated people on the air to say the vaccine had no side effects, kids need to be vaccinated. I mean, they, there's no data. At some point in time, we had data. I mean, at some point in time, people at Pfizer knew that they weren't telling the truth. At some point in time, People at CDC knew they weren't telling the truth. At some point in time, Fauci knew he was not telling the truth. Did the media allow those people to come on and and knowingly and willingly participate in a lie? It, It looks to me that that's the angle Fox is taking. We'll take our medicine, literally and figuratively. We'll take our medicine. We'll pay our big fine. We've got the money. We had some insurance companies kick in. We'll we'll pay our bill. It's a big bill. It's hurting. I mean, we won't have the right to buy back stocks next year. We won't have enough cash flow. Uh, a lot of the cash flow will have to go toward uh, the settlement. But but what about these other companies? Are, are we going to look at them in the same light? I mean, if we knowingly and willingly allowed someone to come on our airways and say things that weren't true, did MSNBC do that? Did CNN do that? 
Did CNBC do that? Did NBC, ABC, and CBS News do that? The answer is yes. Now, the provability of this, you know, you got to scale of provability. Um, and who was financially harmed yeah, stand. in all of this? Well, he's standing in a trial. There you go. And, and I'm thinking about the people in the military, some of the government workers that were forced to resign, retire, find other uh, employment because they were concerned about, you know, um, what about the parent of a kid who goes to a school and the school says your kid can't come to school unless they've been vaccinated? I mean, where's the financial component there? I mean, what is an education worth? Seriously. I mean, what is homeschooling? You see where I'm headed? What is the virtual learning worth? I mean, this this case is bad for Fox, but it could be good for, for the new slander, defamation, and libel laws. I mean, it could give Congress a chance to say, I mean, and I'm talking about the Fox defenders. And it doesn't mean you're defending Fox on this front. It doesn't mean you're saying Fox should have been allowed to let somebody come on the air and say things that they knowingly and willingly knew. I mean, I'm not arguing that. But but is it a double standard? Of course it is. It always is, always has been, always will be. That there There's a way we look at liberal media and a way we look at conservative media. And everybody other than Fox and conservative talk radio were circling the wagons in anticipation and hopes of Fox being drugged through a nine-week trial that was so damaged their brand they would lose their audience. That was the joy in Mudville. That that was what the, the liberal media was anticipating and so hopeful for. So Fox saved the day by cutting the big check and not allowing, you know, that that um that damaging nine-week period of time when some of their biggest stars had to come on the air and say, Yeah, we lied. I mean, we we let somebody, we didn't lie, but we allowed somebody to come on and tell a lie. Um now, who's going to challenge MSNBC? Who's going to challenge CNN? Who's going to challenge? I mean, CNBC is the most interesting here to me. I mean, MSNBC is political punditry. CNN is liberal political punditry. CNBC is where the money talk happens. I mean, that's where the finance is discussed. So when CNBC let somebody from BlackRock who owns an enormous amount of Pfizer shares or Moderna shares or Johnson and Johnson shares, when they let somebody directly or indirectly talk about the, um, the most recent test regarding the COVID vaccine, wh- wh- what was the truth? I mean, what we were told early was not true, right? I mean, once we had an opportunity to gather data, we know now that what we were told earlier, and I'm thinking about two doctors in particular who told me how reckless and careless I was, and I've proven I'm not medically trained, I'm not a licensed physician, but the texts they sent me, the emails they sent me, were absolutely inaccurate. I don't think they intentionally lied, but they lied. But at some point in time, these people who had these ironclad opinions, these strong-held opinions about the vaccine, at some point in time, they had to let go and realize that what they were told, what they believed, what they suspected, uh, what what they were so hopeful for just simply was not true. And did CNBC allow BlackRock, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, all these people that are unbelievably financially motivated, did they let those people come on the air and say things that not only the people at Pfizer knew wasn't true, CDC, NIH, or WHO, I mean, the, 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 the people at CNBC knew it was not true as well, but it fit the narrative. CNBC is Wall Street's cheerleader. I mean, they're, they're Wall Street's propaganda arm. And I just wonder, and, and Tucker opened that door. And it was, I, I sent Rev a text and I said, you watching Tucker? <laughs> I normally get that text. Yeah. You know, you watching Tucker? <laughs> and I sent Rev a text, you watching Tucker? No. Why? 
I think you had some issue with Spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. You have an issue. Spectrum was with, down with, to the house with, last with, night. With Spectrum. Yep. But I said, um, he's going down the road that we went down um, yesterday on the radio and and in the podcast. I would encourage it. I mean this sincerely. I think we nailed it yesterday with the podcast. I mean, what, what Tucker said last night, I mean, he does it in a more intellectual way than I do. I'm a good old boy. He's not. Um, I speak like a good old boy, unapologetically like a good old boy. But 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 that's going to be the next move in just chess game. Fox took its medicine. It paid its bill. I mean, it's 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 uh, its brand has been diminished to some degree. Probably not with its with its viewers, but but with those who suspected Fox was always doing something like that. But now, but but now let let's see what happens. And the vaccine is a perfect example of the media buying into a narrative that turned out to be untrue. And, and once again, you can allow people to come on the air and say things that aren't true. I mean, if you're a CNBC host and the CEO of Pfizer comes on and says, you're not going to believe this vaccine we've developed. I mean, you owe him the right to elaborate. Now, you should have sure. good questions for him, but at some point in time, I mean, he said there were no side effects. It stopped you from getting the, co- it stopped you from getting the, uh, the virus. It stopped the transmission of the virus. We had Joe Biden saying those very same same things, and uh, Dr. Fauci saying the, for when the, the first time things. someone who was vaccinated got COVID, there should have been a question asked. But did and, somebody come on after that? Right. Sure. I mean, that, that, those questions were never asked. That they were never asked. And and as big a deal as the Fox Dominion case is, the Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine mandates of America are a hundred thousand times bigger than Fox. And Dominion, 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We'll go to Breeze. Good morning, Breeze. You're on the air. I wonder who was paying Dominion's legal fees. Because if I were Fox, I would be looking at those guys and say, they can't afford to sue me. I would have drugged this thing out for five years and bankrupted them. So I wonder, I wonder why they even settled in the first place. And the next thing is, you know, I mean, every time somebody somebody writes a bad review on the rest on a restaurant just because they're bad about something and it's really a lie, that hurts their business. Every time a news to news gets old, they they say stuff that hurts people's business. I mean, you can't you I mean, you can spend twenty minutes going through Facebook or or whatever, and you can see people lying about stuff that hurts people's business. So I don't, you know, and you know damn well. I mean, Fox, yeah, I don't know, you know, Fox isn't necessarily a lot. They let people on. I, I mean, when I heard those people talking like that, I sat there and said, well, you know, that may or may not be true. You know, so I don't know. But the next question I have, Ken, I wonder when the American people are, like, if I'm Russia and China, my question would be, okay, we got abducts of Joe Biden, which, of course, is being run by Barack Obama's acolytes, like you say. But at how far can we push our American people to where they finally say enough is enough, we're not going to go with this, and then they're going to elect the president. And let's say they do elect the president. Let's say you get Trump for four years and DeSantis for eight. That would be Russia and China's nightmare. You know, they push us so far to where these guys say, the heck with all of you guys, we're going to bring manufacturing back to America. We're going to dag old drill for every damn thing we got. And we're going to put you, boy, we're going to bankrupt you boys, and we're going to build our military so strong that we can wipe anybody off the face of the earth. I wondered if there's anybody strategizing in Russia and China and anybody in these Barack Obama acolytes saying, how far can we push these people when they finally wake up and say enough is enough? 
sitting there, I just put $85 in my tank today to fill it up with gas. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. I mean, I tweeted yesterday that the the world is beginning to decouple from the dollar. The de-dollarization is, is happening. I mean, it's not going to be slow. Excuse me, it's not going to be fast. It's going to be very, very slow. I went back over the weekend and read about some of the, I mean, even the Spanish galleon. I mean, when, when, a, when a nation begins to lose its prestige, one of the, one of the very slow things that happen is a decline in its, in its currency. I mean, it is, it's inevitable. It always happens. It doesn't matter. I mean, big dynasty, little dynasty, big empire, uh, small empire. America's a big empire. So, so once the world decides that, that America is a risk, the dollar is a riskier investment than they ever imagined it would be, it's a glacier. I mean, it's not a speedboat. It's not a downhill slalom race. I mean, this is a very, very slow and methodical unwind. And and somebody put on there about the, the you know, the wands valuations and the government distorts the wand. I mean, do, really? I mean, do, do we don't believe the American government's distorted the dollar? Quantitative easing, quantitative tightening, interest rates. I mean, we're always manipulating our currency, the value of our currency and some of these um, global exchange rates. But, but, but we've done things that I believe or irreparable. Well, you can't you can't fix what we've done. I mean, we, we make a mistake here, and I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, Braves lose yesterday one nothing. I think uh, that's kind of a getaway day. They don't really don't play well on getaway days. Been on a road trip, ready to get home. Not not really. Into, I get that. I get already won two in San Diego, so you know you win two or three. But the, the second baseman boots the ball. There there's a chance you turn a double play on the next batter, right? And then everything's forgotten. So so the second baseman boots the ball. The next batter hits a hard ground ball to the shortstop, um, you know, 6-4-3 double play, and you're out of the inning. We can't do that here. I mean, we, we just simply can't. We can do it with Social Security and Medicare. We can't do it with existing debt. And, and when I start reading about these countries that, that were once again dynasties, empires, superpowers, whatever you want to say, that, that they were a big deal in their day. Inevitably, when they lost control of their ability to constrain spending, it, it began a very slow process of the world, and and it's I guess it's on um, its trading partners beginning to disassociate itself at, at a very incremental rate. I mean, it doesn't. You don't wake up one day. I mean, she doesn't send Putin a letter and say, "Hey, you know the dollar's done." I mean, that, those two may not live long enough. Probably won't live long enough. Biden won't live long enough. I may live long enough. To, to see the de the de-dollarization of the global economy, I may. I mean, I, I'm you know, if I live 25 more years, I, I probably will see uh, the beginning of the end. But this is not something that's going to happen at warp speed. I mean, it's going to be a slow and gradual process. The only reason it hadn't happened until then is the entire world's been addicted to debt. I mean, we, we've been like the um, you know, um, the, the fastest man in the obesity race. I mean, you know, we got a 100-yard dash. Everybody, you got to be obese before you can run in the race. Well, well, we've been the fastest of the obese, you know, sprinters. So, so there's nothing nothing we've done. It's just in comparison to what the rest of, of the world's done. But the rest of the world doesn't have the superiority we have. The rest of the world is not the preferred, you know, I mean, in, in, uh, in international reserves, in, in foreign trade, in energy trades. I mean, the, in other words, I mean, the, 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 the yuan is worth less. The ruble's worth less. Um, the, the euro's worth less, but the global economy is not dependent upon what the value of those currencies are. We are the, the preferred global exchange, the global preferred currency. 
and we're going to begin to see. I mean, it's already happening. I mean, I'm convinced of that. And it happened a little bit sooner than I anticipated, but history says it takes a long, long, long time for that to come um, to complete and total fruition. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Thursday morning, 843-661-0937 is our number. You know, the, the one topic that you got to be most careful about in today's culture and society is race. Breeze called in yesterday, uh, made a point, uh, a couple of African-American, I mean, our, our audience is, is largely white. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. That's not a racist statement. That's just the reality of it. Uh, the majority of NFL is black. Uh, that's just, I mean, there, there are certain truisms that I mean, you, you can make out of that what you choose to, but it's the truth. Um, the, the, the majority of, uh, let's say NBA, the majority of NBA players are African-American. The majority of conservative talk radio listenership is white, but it's not exclusive. It's not just that. And every now and then um, somebody engages in one of these controversial conversations and you, you see something in the, I, I guess this is quasi media that you hardly ever see. And that is authenticity. You see people genuinely saying what they believe when provoked. And we had kind of a, um, a yin and yang, a back and forth of, well, I, I agree with this and I don't agree with that. And I believe this and I don't, I don't believe that. You don't see much of that in the mainstream media because, once again, these people are highly compensated and, and they love their jobs. They love that paycheck. And if you want to put that paycheck in jeopardy, you go down that road of talking about race because if, you, if you're brave enough to go down the road talking about race, You'll be perceived as a racist by somebody somewhere. I mean, that's just a name. I would argue that's probably the reason we can't make progress in race relations because if you talk about it, somebody loses their job. Somebody loses their 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 standing. Somebody, I mean, there, there's a winner and loser. And I said yesterday, and I'll, and I'll stand by this. I mean, some things I'm comfortable talking about, some things I'm not. But if you're waiting on the political leadership in America today, to help solve the issue of race relations in America, you'll wait your life away. They are most interested in division. They are most interested in kind of the blame game and the finger pointing. And, you know, the political leadership in America today has gained exponentially by seeing the division, stoking the divisions, race baiting. And um, so, so, you know, stop looking at political leadership to offer up real solutions to the issues uh, of race in America that's up to us. I mean, we're the ones that are going to have to um, deal with that. Everything I know about race and racism, as I've said before, I learned on a farm and in a locker room. It's a pretty damn good place to learn how to get along with people, how to judge and evaluate, how to, how to um, give people the benefit of the doubt or not. But one guy who apparently didn't get the memo is Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, one of the most interesting candidates to come uh, in the Republican Party in a long, long time. And I'm telling you, I mean, Haley and Scott and DeSantis and Trump have a lot of experience in politics. Trump less than those, but, I mean, he's still been a president. He's running again. Uh, this is his third campaign uh, for the American presidency. That makes him a pretty highfalutin candidate as far as I'm concerned. But I don't know that anybody as aggressively um, addresses whatever issue you want to talk about as Vivek Ramaswamy. And he was on Don Lemon's uh, CNN early morning show yesterday. Lemon's got demoted. I didn't know he time. was still on the air. But he's still there. on the air, and he's as angry as he's ever been. But um, but let, let's play this. About six minutes. I think you'll find it interesting. But because of the uh, you know, the back and forth we had yesterday, his Republican candidate Vivek Ramas Vivek Ramaswamy 
um, on CNN. One of them being China. Before I get to sure. China, I, I just um, want to better understand something you said this week speaking uh, before the audience at the NRA. H- here, here's what you said um, referring to back to 1865. Here it was. I want you to raise your hand if you know when the first anti-gun laws were passed in this country. Raise your hand if you do. 1865. You want to know when it happened? We fought a civil war in this country to give black Americans the equal protection under the law that we failed to secure them in 1776. But then you want to know what happened? Southern states passed anti-gun laws that stopped black people from owning guns. The Democrat Party, then as in now, wanted to put them back in chains. Then as in now, that's quite an accusation about the current Democratic Party. Oh, we got these bully ads. Let, yeah. me, let me do this. All right. uh, give, me, give me three seconds, two seconds, one second. Uh, I got to pay some bills. Google doesn't have enough. Right, let's go back. Referring to. I was referring to Joe Biden and his expression of wanting to put them back in chains, dating back to Lyndon Johnson. I think Lyndon Johnson's so-called great society was one of the greatest misnomers in American political history, where even back then in the 1960s, 70 percent plus of black kids were born into two parent homes. Today, that number is less than 30 percent in the opposite direction. The very policies that we implemented in this country in the name of helping black Americans have actually been disastrous for black Americans and all Americans. And I think so that that's something that we need to wake up t- to. In 1865, you were talking about the black codes, right? That's right. Passed, enacted to make it a crime for a black person to carry a gun exactly. in the South. But you're equating that to the current president? You're referring to economic chains? What are you saying? Well, I, I was referring to Joe Biden's, I think, ill-chosen expression to say they're the party that wants to put you back into chains. What I'm actually saying is that if you look at the policies you of the modern Democratic Party. Democrats. Absolutely. So. What I'm saying is that actually it's policies like that of Lyndon Johnson and Joe Biden that are actually holding black Lyndon Americans Johnson's back. Lyndon Johnson's the war on poverty? Yes, and in particular his great society where he actually created incentives in the family where if you're a family, you could actually get more money by not having the father in the home. What, Guess what you get? Of, you get what you pay for. Of, what, I think it's been really bad for the black community. I think it's really bad for all Americans. What, do you have anything on this before I move on I, to I China? Just, I don't see what one has to do with the other, but... Go on. I took up a lot of time with Fox. Oh, it's fine. We have time. I don't don't really see what one has to do with the other, especially consider and using the Civil War to talk about black Americans. That war was not fought for black people to have guns. That's 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 not that war was fought for black people to have freedoms in this country. Yeah, actually, that's why the Civil War was fought. Okay, the sad part about it for, for black people to have guns, I think. Actually, you know, a funny fact is black people did not get to enjoy the other freedoms until their Second Amendment rights were secured. And I think that that's one of the lessons that we learned. aren't allowed to enjoy the freedoms. I disagree with you on that, Don. I disagree with you. I I think you're doing a disservice to our country by failing to recognize the fact that we have the quality of the law. And you live in this country, then you can disagree with me. But we're not. You mentioned in here that we have three different shades of melanin. I think we have to be able to talk about these issues in the open, regardless of the color of our skin. Black Americans today, to say that, compare that to 1865 and 1964, absolutely have equal rights in this country. I think it's insulting to black people. It's insulting to me as an African-American. I don't want to sit here and argue with you because it's infuriating for you to put that to put those things together. It's not right. Your telling of history is wrong. You're, what, what, you're what part thinking, of the history was wrong? What, 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 what part of the history was wrong? That the Civil War was fought. You're making people think that the Civil War was fought for black people, only for black people to get guns and for black people to the have The Civil War was fought rights. for black people in this country to get freedoms, a noble mission. And I think that 
It, even yes, after, right. even after we succeeded, we had to actually secure those freedoms. To reduce it in a speech at the NRA to say you're making people think, or you're trying to say that black people, uh, to get guns, that was, that, that was the reason that you're there at the NRA. That was the reason for, uh, for the Civil War. It I is think a that's fact. reductive. It's not and reductive, I think it's Don. insulting. There are a whole plethora of reasons that I, for look, the Civil with War. With due respect, I find, I find your explanation reductive and actually insulting, including to black Americans, to say that black people today, compared to 1964, 1865, haven't made progress in part because of the freedoms we secured. And the Second Amendment was black part people, of what Hang on, please. Freedom. I cannot keep a thought if you guys are talking to me in my ear. So uh, hang on one second. So to say that, that black people, say, say what you said again. Black people secured their freedoms after the Civil War. It is a historical fact, Don. Just study it. Only after their Second Amendment black rights were secured. They were not secured their freedoms after the Civil War. That is not, you're, you are discounting uh, uh, Reconstruction. You're discounting a whole host of things that happened after the Civil War when it comes to African Americans, including the whole reason that the Civil Rights Movement happened is because black people did not secure their freedoms after the Civil War, and, and that things turned around. People were, tried to change the freedoms that were supposed and to And you know how they the got Civil it? War they got their Second Amendment rights, and they actually got, the NRA played a big role in that. But today, down the final... The NRA did the, not play a big role. They trained black Americans how to use firearms. That's a lie. That's not. The NRA did not play a big role. This is just historical fact. It's not historical fact. The part that I find because you say it's historical fact. The part that I find insulting is when you say today black Americans don't have those rights after we have gone through civil rights revolution in this country. You are sitting here telling an African American about the rights and what you find insulting about the the way I live, the skin I live in every day. Here's where you and I have the freedom that black and white that black people don't have in this country and that black people do have. Well, here's where you and I have a different point of view. I think we should be able to express our views regardless of the color of our skin. We should have this debate I'm not saying you without me regarding views, you as a black man, insulting that but you're me regarding you as a fellow citizen. That you're That's sitting what I think here, we whatever ethnicity you are, explaining to me whatever ethnicity about I'm, what it's like to be black Whatever America. ethnicity I'm, I'm I'll tell you what I am. I'm an Indian American. I'm proud of it. But I think we should have this debate. Black, white, doesn't matter. I think we should have this debate. On the content of the ideas. Do it, you should do it in an honest way and in a I fair way. And what you're doing is not an honest and fair way. We appreciate you coming on. With due respect, Don, I look forward to continuing that conversation. Thank you. Conversation. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, Papa. Well, this is kind of an interesting. Vivek Ramaswamy didn't get the memo. <laughs> when you go on CNN, you're to kowtow, you're to get along, you're to right. not address controversial issues wow. in such a fashion. This guy has acquitted himself so well. I mean, he has no chance to win. I mean, he doesn't have the um, the, the political infrastructure necessary. He, he, it's a little bit of a um. I mean, there's a Bernie Sanders feel to Vivek Ramaswamy. It's very organic. It's very real. It's very authentic. It's very um, genuine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being redundant with some of the, but, but that, that's just the way I sense. And, and he has such a grasp of the of the issue. I mean, it's obvious he's dedicated a good bit of his life to better understanding. I mean, this would be life after fortune. I mean, he's made a lot of money. He had a biotech company, sold it for seven, $800 million. Um, he's financially liberated, financially independent. Um, I mean, he's not going to fund his campaign. He'll go broke funding a presidential campaign, but he's got himself in a place where enough people are aware of him that he can really leave an imprint. Um, I've said that I think J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, um, I mean, obviously Donald Trump, they are the, um, the, the next phase. I mean, Trump would be the originator, the original godfather, so to speak. And then you've got Masters who lost in Arizona. You've got Vance who won in Ohio. I think Ramaswamy is in that in that camp. You know, you've got the um, you and I have debated about Ted Cruz. Um, I mean, he's a little bit in this camp and a little bit in in that camp. I think Josh Hawley 
is very much on the side of America first. I think Vivek Ramaswamy, no matter what happens in this presidential election, has to be a part of moving the party forward. I mean, he, he gets it. I mean, he understands, and he doesn't shy away from controversy. He doesn't back down. He doesn't allow himself to be bullied. Once again, he is very articulate. He has a grasp of the issues. And the one thing he said, so, so you're telling me that, that the only people that can talk about racial inequality in America are black people? I mean, I'm an Indian American. I'm not allowed because I'm not a black person. I, I don't walk in the same, I think Lemon said, you don't walk in the same color skin that I do. So we're excluding everybody except people that walk in that color skin. I mean, that, you know, that gets controversial fast. And most people shy away from that when it starts going down that road. You didn't hear much out the white lady when they started down that road, did you? <laughs> uh, she had a lot to say yeah. about the other issues, but you didn't she hear did. a word out of her when all that started. But Vivek Ramaswamy was fearless and, and just relentless in saying, I, I just disagree with you. I mean, I just, I just absolutely disagree with everything um, you're saying. And Lemon's not used to that. I mean, he's not used to that much uh, pushback. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Got a call. Hang on. We'll get to you on the other side. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial member FINRA SIPC. This morning's edition of the Armstrong Minutes is brought to you by the Armstrong Wealth Management Group, dedicated to growing and protecting your wealth. It is Thursday morning. Full disclosure, Reggie is not in front of me in our studio. He is somewhere traveling, but he is with us on the phone. Reggie Armstrong, good morning. How are you? Doing well. Good morning, Ken. Uh, I'm doing well. I, I kind of miss seeing you. It's just weird talking to you over over the phone. But let's um let let's jump into the uh to the to the issue at hand. So th- there are a lot of things that we. I mean, I said it this morning. Right wing extremist, liberal mainstream media. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- there's certain. Uh, parts of the vernacular that we uh, what does it mean? I don't know, but it's a Seinfeld episode. Remember the uh, Seinfeld episode write-offs? I don't know, Jerry, but they do it all the time. <laughs> so, so cash on the sideline. I've heard that forever and a day that the market has a lot of room to run because there's cash on on the sideline. What in the world are they talking about, Reggie, when they say that? Sure, and thank you for not asking me to opine on guns or race or all the other stuff you've been talking about this morning. I appreciate it. I've been listening, even though I'm not local right now. So, um, so well, as you said, you know, you hear all the time cash on the sidelines, and it's and it's and it's given as a reason by these pundits. Uh, you know, I won't name the stations, but you know, just uh, just out there, they that hey. The reason the market has a lot of room to run or the reason it can only go down so much, there's all this cash on the sidelines. And what it fails to take into account is a basic understanding of a security. Because once a security is issued, it has to be owned by somebody until it's retired. So let's pretend I own you know, 100 shares of XYZ stock. Um, you know, it, when I sell it, I'm selling it to somebody. Yes, I'm going to get my cash back. You know, I'm going to sell it for you know that thousand dollars, but they're going to be spending a thousand dollars. And so, when they say there's cash on the sidelines, okay, so let's say there's there's a million dollars of making up numbers, Ken, million dollars cash on the sidelines that's going to go into the market today. Well, that also means that as they're buying those stocks or those bonds, someone's holding them. They're going to get 
that that cash. And so there's just as much cash. It's only when stock or bonds are issued is, does more money make it into the markets. And it's only when you know stocks are retired or repurchased and, you know, and done away with uh, by a company does that go away. So cash on the sidelines, there is an effect because, again, if the government issues more bonds, a corporation issues more bonds, a company issues more stock, yes, there comes an opportunity for cash to come in. But it's not as dramatic as people think, and, and, and it doesn't have quite the effect people think it does. And I, I, I know it's, that's a little wonky for this early on a Thursday morning, but I just thought I hope that answers the question. It, it answers the question. So, Reggie, what are we to make of these sorts of things the experts say? I mean, isn't that the main reason we need someone like you to cut through? I mean, I understand it enough to be dangerous, but but I've always believed that cash on the sideline, because I'll call the network, CNBC or Bloomberg, um, say yep. it, that there's some validity there. You're saying yep. there's another side of that story. Isn't yep. that kind of the reason that, that someone like me or our listeners would need a partner and helping them work through the investment decisions. Do you know what I uh, do? You know what I call and have for de- really for decades. What I call the CNBCs and the Bloombergs of the world. I call them financial pornography. You know, they're designed to titillate you. They're designed to get you captured. They're designed with headlines so you stay glued. Doesn't mean they don't have a purpose. Doesn't mean they don't. You know, unlike pornography, it doesn't mean they they don't have some sort of value. But yeah. In my opinion, and again, that a little bit of a self-serving opinion. Yeah, that's that's what you need to be able to cut through the noise. You know, it's just like in in politics, you hear all all the all the you know people, the squawk box people talking, 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 talking. You need someone like you or or others who can say, hey, look, you know, this this doesn't meet the smell test. You know, and what we try to bring to bear on the financial side is, you know, what of this all this all this stuff out there that you're hearing. What what really matters, you know? Yeah, if there's if, there, if if people have been sitting in a bunch of money markets and are getting ready to pounce back into stocks, will that make a difference? Sure, but how much? And what what does that mean to you, your financial plan, your portfolio? That's kind of what we try to kind of decipher for our clients. Well explained. If someone wants to begin that sort of relationship, how does that happen? Sure. Give us a call, 843-292-9997, or check us out armstrongwealth.com. You know, it's not just me. We're, we're an entire team. And so if, if I'm not in the office, there's someone there to take care of you, and we're, we're happy to, to at least begin the conversation. Thank you, Reggie. Safe travels. Yep. Thank you, Kim. Bye-bye. This Thursday's edition of the Armstrong Minute is brought to you by the Armstrong Wealth Management Group at 1807 West Devon Street in Florence. Opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Okay, here's Word Salad 101. You ready? Mm -hmm. Fox learned the hard way that you don't knowingly and willingly let people on your network say things that aren't true. I mean, that, that's, that's defamation, right? I mean, they learned the hard way. I mean, they didn't go through a nine-week trial. They didn't take the ultimate embarrassment of having their big personalities, you know, paraded in front of a nation. You got to believe that every outlet in the world, you ready for this, Rev? Every liberal mainstream media outlet in the world would have taken joy and glee in that. But, but should this be a crime? Let me throw this out there. So, so Fox and Dominion have agreed, and a judge presided, 
over the uh, the settlement phase. So so we we had a settlement. Fox accepted responsibility. They don't have to apologize publicly. There are a lot of nuances in the agreement. But at the end of the day, they're paying a hefty fine for for allowing people to be dishonest on their on their airways, and they knew they were being dishonest. It's not the fact that they were dishonest. Somebody told me yesterday that's what they get for letting people lie on their show. No. That's what they get for letting people lie on their network and them knowing that they're not telling um, the truth. You know, it's kind of an interesting, somebody made a valid point yesterday, I think, over the airwaves. How do we know they're not telling the truth? I mean, I mean Fox settled. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Right. Fox settled, so they've accepted that they didn't tell the truth. But who's evaluated the Dominion machines to make sure they're counting? Uh, I think Joe was the one that brought that um, that case up where they did find the machines were distorted. I'll give you an example. This should concern everybody. When I served on Florence County Council, I probably should say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. When, when I served on Florence County Council, one of the first things we dealt with was a leaking roof on an old building. And I can remember thinking to myself, why do we own that building? I mean, it's obsolete. We don't need it. It's, 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 it's in bad shape. It's an asset. Why don't we sell it? I mean, the county's not in the property management business. You know, the O&M. And I'm thinking this is a business guy. Once again, I just got elected. I thought, you know, I thought I could bring some of the business principles that I learned in truck body manufacturing and into and, and government. So when I get elected in 2004, 20 years ago, to Florence County Council, one of the first things we dealt with was this this building that needed a new roof. And I asked the question in executive session, I think, well, why 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 do we own the building? I mean, it's a bit no no it has served no county function in about 10 years. Why are we why are we fixing the roof of a building? that we probably shouldn't own anyway. And I was told by a county employee, that's where we keep the voting machines and they're getting wet. <laughs> really? I mean, that's, that's the truth. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. That's where we keep the voting machines and the voting machines are getting wet. Well, I remember thinking to myself, well, we certainly don't need the voting machines to get wet. I mean, you know, that, that right. could... I mean, that could damage the product. Could, I mean, I don't understand anything about algorithms and, and technology. I didn't then. I don't now. Uh, I know what an algorithm is. I know what technology is. But you ask me much more than that, and you're going to lose me. But I remember thinking to myself, we don't have a building that the roof doesn't leak in the, in the county's portfolio of, of, of assets that we could um, relocate the voting machines. But I remember the county employee said, we, we got to fix this roof because the voting machines are getting wet. Well, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, that's how we decide who wins elections, not just uh, city and county council and mayoral races, uh, presidential races and Senate races and, and races for Congress, uh, and the machines are getting wet. So, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> because of that, I agreed to, you know, for the county to provide funding fix to the replace roof. the roof, you know, fix the roof. Now, eventually, I said, why don't we build a dedicated building to keep the voting machines secure and sell that 100-year-old building that that's been a makeshift place for the voting uh, machines. But once again, I'm a dumb business guy. You know what I mean? I didn't understand how bureaucracies hmm. worked and how the layers of government function uh, with and separate of one another. Was that shocking to you? Was it was, it, it was concerning. Mean, were there eye-opening experiences in government versus business? Well, I mean, I, like I, I just remember going, okay, voting machines are pretty important. Why do we have them in a building that the roof leaks? I, I do remember thinking that. I, mean, I may have asked that question. And it was the old, well, I mean, this building's used for this, and that building's used for that, and, and that, you know, that it doesn't meet ADA compliant, and this building has been done this. And I'm going like, 
All I want to do is get the voting machines in a place where they aren't getting wet. So, so whatever that takes. I'm the new guy here. So, so forgive my ignorance. But I simply, all I'm interested in is getting the voting machines out of a building that leaks into one that does not leak. Um, could we do that without replacing the roof on a building that we really and truly didn't need? But that's, once again, um, that goes to the old theory I've always said, Rev. When I'm in business, I'm spending my money, my family's money, my profit or potential profit and proceeds. When I'm in the government, I'm spending uh, not, you know, kind of your money, kind of my money, kind of of somebody else's money. Uh, you know, when it's anybody's money, it's everybody's money. When it's everybody's money, it's anybody's money. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in Hartsville. Hey, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, the amazing thing to me is after 2016, uh, the Dominion didn't say anything about Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and I think there's about seven other Democrats were raising hell about uh, rigging the votes on the Dominion system. I mean, they played those comments probably two or three hundred times, and there was no, you know, and that's politicians, I guess, have the right to to say that the system's rigged. But listening to Don Lemon, he knows nothing about history whatsoever. I mean, the, the black population right after the war took off. Look at C.J. Walker. She was the first black female uh, millionaire. She developed hair products because her hair was falling out. But she was born right at, I think, 1867. And all these H.B. Uh, historically black colleges, I think the first one was started in 1837. And, you know, they found a way to survive and excel. You know, they they took adversity and, and turned it into an advantage until the Democrats started trying to help them. But, yeah, I remember reading about the, because uh, blacks weren't the only ones lynched. You know, they they want to say that, but actually the majority of people that were lynched were white people trying to protect them. And the NRA made sure that the black people had the right to own guns to defend themselves against being lynched. So, you know, as long as they can keep changing history, you know, I'd I'd like for you to one day ask uh, Professor Bolt to talk about the black robe regiment all the the preachers that that got the the people to actually engage the british because without that black robe regiment we wouldn't be a united states of america right now because lexington and concord was a bloodbath y'all have a good one thank you joe appreciate it i want to go back to my comment about dominion and fox and then we got to take a break because john decker will be with us at 725 ish 7.30-ish somewhere and 7.25. Well, I may have to save this until after. we got a short break, and then we'll come back uh, with John Decker. But I want you to kind of stew on something for a second. Now, now once again, um, a lot of people questioned the Dominion voting machines. Uh, but they, they're, they're public personnel. They're politicians. I guess they have the authority to lie and get away with it or question things that aren't true and, and get away with it. Uh, Fox News 
has to meet a different set of criteria. Um, and, and anyway, I mean, whether we, whether we agree with the decision or not, Fox made a deal and Fox pled guilty to, to defamation. I mean, Fox agreed to pay $587.5 billion because they knowingly and willingly let someone say things over their airways that they knew were not accurate. It's not that they said things that weren't accurate guys. It's that they knew they were saying things that weren't yeah, that weren't apparently they made a decision at some point when they somebody said hey they don't have any proof for what they're saying and then somebody decided let them on anyway because well, well, the audience is wants it and, and, and newsmax ratings are spiking I and mean, there are a lot of things that yeah. went into that into that brew hold on to that i want to take a break we'll come back with john decker but i'm going to go back to something kind of a theory i want to try out on our audience take a break back in just a few moments welcome back thursday morning as usual and in timely fashion, Great Television Senior National Editor, White House Correspondent, John Decker joins us. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. How are you doing today? I am doing well. So when I hear Supreme Court and abortion, I think Roe v. Wade, I think state laws, I think uh, a big deal. But now we're talking about an abortion appeal, and Justice Samuel Alito issued an order yesterday. Explain that to us in, in layman terms, but, but get as lawyerly as you like. Well, absolutely. So you may wonder why is uh, perhaps the most conservative justice on the Supreme Court issuing these gays, uh, not putting into effect what the lower court wants to do as it relates to Mifepristone. The reason being is because each justice on the Supreme Court is signed specific circuits around the country. So if there's an emergency appeal, that justice handles that emergency appeal. The Fifth Circuit, which is based in New Orleans, is assigned to Justice Alito. That's the reason that he has signed uh, these orders, essentially extending this stay for an additional 48 hours. And then by Friday at midnight is when we will get word as to what the Supreme Court would like to do. Would they like to keep in place what is now in place, which is making Mifepristone widely available in every state in the country? Or do they want to adopt the Fifth Circuit's ruling uh, and keep that in place while the bigger issue as to whether or not that decision by that district court judge in Texas works its way through the court process. That is very well explained. John, thank you for doing that. I understand it better now than I did when I read a CNBC article yesterday or last night about the uh, the temporariness <laughs> of the order for Alito because Alito is, like you said, the most conservative justice on the court, and this kind of goes against his cons- – I don't say against his conservative – uh, but there's going to be consistencies there with this uh, with this ruling and his stances. I want to go to um, I want to save the best for last, if you don't mind. But but I want to go to um, to the Republican primary where it sits and where it's projected to be, and that is Ron DeSantis. I mean, you know, DeSantis obviously will eventually announce his candidacy for president. But it seems to me, John, that the longer he waits, <sighs> the more complicated the case he has to make. To the American public. You say what about that? Yeah, I agree with you. But, you know, I think he wants to focus on uh, his job at hand, which is being governor of Florida. The legislative session will wrap itself up uh, at the end of May. And then he can turn to the attention of challenging Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. I don't think in the long term it's that big of a deal. But at the same time, over the course of the past week, we saw a number of Florida uh, legislators that Ron DeSantis knows very well 
uh, having been a member of Congress from Florida, being governor of Florida, dealing with these House members who are Republicans, we see these members endorsing Donald Trump. Uh, and that's not good for his candidacy. He needs to build momentum. Endorsements, oh, I'm telling you this, Ken, you know this better than anybody. Endorsements don't win you elections, but they provide this, I think, momentum as it relates to your candidacy, this idea that uh, there's a big a freight train that's behind you, pushing you along, and you have the inevitability of being a winner. And right now, uh, that momentum appears to be on Donald Trump's side as it relates to the endorsement uh, side of the game. Okay, I want to go to the to – the, I mean, we talked a lot yesterday about it. We've talked a good deal today about it. Um, that is the Dominion-Fox case. Dominion um, – or Fox agreeing to settle out of court or, or you know, before a trial for $587.5 million dollars. Fox knowingly and willingly allowed people to state untruths on their network. It's not the fact that people said things that weren't true, but they said them and Fox knew they were saying things that were untrue. I've got a theory, and I want to go back to Trump and DeSantis. Yeah. If, if, if Fox believes that Trump cost them a half billion bucks, surely there's a vendetta there. Surely there's, a, there's something there that they – I don't – Human beings are human beings, John. You are, I am. I can't <laughs> right. check my, sure. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd love to be fair and objective, but I can't always do that because my, my, my notions are skewed by things that I perceive to be. And there's a perception now, if I work at Fox, that the reason we're paying $585, billion is we ran a lot of interference for some of the Trump surrogates. What, what, what was your take on my theory? Well, I think there's something to that. I think Rupert Murdoch, who's the one writing the check, essentially, for $787 million, uh, it feels that way. And that's the reason why, uh, as things stand today, you do not see Donald Trump that often on Fox Airways. Yes, you saw him do an interview recently with Tucker Carlson, uh, and that, I think, was a one-off, essentially. But you do not see him that often on Tuck on. Uh, uh, the airwaves of Fox News, certainly in the way that you did in the lead up to the 2016 presidential election. I think that's a fair comparison. Here we are in the lead up to the 2024 presidential election. And I think Rupert Murdoch uh, would very much like to see someone other than Donald Trump uh, as the Republican nominee in 2024. He's an awful powerful person. Rupert Murdoch is. Uh, and, you know, I think that uh, that's been made pretty clear based upon all of those uh, texts and email messages that came out through the discovery process regarding this defamation trial. John, does this in any way, shape, or form affect the standards of journalism in America? I mean, I've argued, I'm a conservative radio show host. I make no bones about it. I'm a conservative at heart, but I've never looked at Fox as a news network. I've historically looked at Fox as a very pundit-driven, entertainment-driven. I mean, they're a monster. There is no doubt about it. Yeah. They move the meter in a way that very few news organizations ever have. But does this change the standard moving forward of what defamation is as a media organization? I think it does. You know, I mean, again, Fox is a juggernaut. Fox is the number one rated cable uh, outlet on television. But, you know, even though they're a juggernaut, even though they have $4 billion in cash on their balance sheet, writing a nearly $800 million check is not something that they want to do. Uh, and they have another defamation uh, suit that they are dealing with right now. Uh, the company Smartmatic also suing Fox News for defamation. They see that they've just settled for 
787 million. Uh, they're thinking at least we can get 787 more from Fox News. So I think it makes them think long and hard before putting certain people on their airwaves, you know, for fear of going down this road again. And I have to tell you something, Ken. Uh, I think that the word has gone out at Fox News. Be careful what you put on your emails. Be careful what you put in your text messages, because it could come out someday as it came out during the course of this particular case. Well explained. Thank you for your time, John. Have a great day and weekend. Have a great day, Ken. Have a good weekend. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. That, that is great television senior national editor, White House correspondent, um, John Decker. Let me ask you a question, guys. Can Trump win without Fox? I mean, think about this. If you're Rupert Murdoch and you had to get off, you know, $787.5 million and you believe the reason you had to pay that big fine or penalty or punishment was allowing, you know, the, I mean, Trump's got a following that there is sure. no bones about it. There's no um, doubt about it. I, you know, and people say it's dwindling, uh, it, it may be dwindling a bit, but it's not dwindling a lot. I mean, you know, get out and fly over country and you'll still run into a lot of, um, you know, animate Trump supporters. Here's the point I'm making. Can Trump win a Republican primary if he's at odds with Fox News? Because if Rupert Murdoch is chairman of the board at Fox News, and they, along with some insurance carriers, had to come up with $787.5 million. I mean, that's a year of earnings in their world. I think their revenue is north of a billion, but their their net earnings are somewhere in the neighborhood of $570-ish million. A highly profitable, as John said, juggernaut of media. I, I've, I've always argued, and you know I've been consistent here, Rev. I've always said that Fox is not a news organization. It is an entertainment business that incorporates newsiness, if you will, into their punditry, and they found a recipe for success. That There is no doubt about it. I think Fox has been significantly diminished since Roger Ailes died. I think Ailes was a conservative at heart. I think he believed in conservative virtues and values, and the ability to articulate that to, a, to an audience what was profound. Murdoch's a business guy. I mean, he's a capitalist. He wants all the money he can get. And if he believes there's one guy who led him to lose $787.5 million, why do you have any part of that guy again? I mean, just think about it. And, and can I'll tell Trump, you why, because if they, <clears throat> they've got a, a kind of a fine line to walk here, a tightrope, if you will, because, you know, like you said, Trump has a following, a large following. And if they're perceived as being anti-Trump in any way, could harm them, well, right? I mean, well, if you took a Venn diagram and you said, okay, here's the Trump voter, here's the Fox viewer, but I mean, they're almost one of the same. They aren't one of the same, but there's an ass of overlap in, in that Venn diagram between the Trump voter and, and, and the Fox sure. viewer. And, and how do you how do you parse that? How, how do you work through I mean, I've that already heard, complexity? I've heard chatter of people that have seen some of the, I don't know necessarily anti-Trump, but, but not pro-Trump or pro-Trump's uh, challengers, um, things that, that Fox has, has done or said or the headlines they've published or whatever, and people, their perception is, man, what's what's happened to Fox? What's I mean, wrong with Fox? They're, Trump, not, they're not like they used to be. But, I mean, don't you know now Trump cost them $787.5 million? Now I mean, he put know. them in a bad box. Right. He was good for business until he was not. I mean, Trump was a godsend. Rev, you know this. Half the people at CNN owe their jobs to Donald Trump being president. Talk radio. We know what market shares are. I mean, you've seen our numbers. I won't go into detail, 
But I mean, our numbers spike when Trump shows up. I mean, he's good for business until he's not. And when you have to write a check for $787.5 million, you wonder how good he's been, not for business in general, but for your business. And my question to the audience, can Trump win a Republican primary without Fox News as, it, as the wind in his sail? Now, now uh, Trump caught a break in 16 because a lot of people underestimated, um, mismeasured the energy out there for a candidate like Donald Trump. And by that, I mean not a narcissistic, you know, um, egotistical New Yorker. I'm talking about someone with a populist message and kind of a nationalist agenda. That's where we are today. Drew McKissick will be with us uh, for an abbreviated session. We have to actually have a special guest at the 8 o'clock hour, and I've, I've intentionally not announced that, not teased about that, because I think it's a big deal in our community, in our neighborhood, and our our, um, our universe of listeners. I think it's something that um, that we all should be grateful and thankful that, that is, um, something is happening here and, I, and we'll, we won't break that news. I mean, I don't want to, we're, we're not that big a deal to break news, but we are um, trying to introduce something that is going to happen to people who are deeply interested. I mean, you folks are not listening to Taylor Swift this morning. I mean, you've made a conscious effort to listen to talk radio. You know what that leads me to believe? You'd you like to be a little more informed than most. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have these debates every morning. We have this dialogue every morning. We have this back and forth every morning. Um, but I've said over and over and over again, I have no interest in being a journalist. None. Zero. Um, I actually had a story yesterday. Somebody private messaged me on Facebook. Hey, do you know anything about this? No, and I don't want to. I- I'm not in the news business. I'm not a journalist. Call Dan Rather. He's, he's waiting to bust somebody in the chops. Do that. I don't have any interest in any of that. It was a local government issue. Um, I mean, we have... Uh, we have a stylistic way we do things here. We have a certain, I don't know, um, modus operandi, so to speak, of, of how we do things here. But but something is happening in our community and our listening area that I think is profound important, and we wanted to be a part of that. So um, we've had several communications back and forth, and um, and we're not going to break news. I mean, the news has already been broken, but I think we will um, emphasize and elaborate on what is um, on what is headed our way. But and this would be a very good time to do this because, you know, we're questioning whether Fox is in the journalistic business or not. I think we agreed yesterday that Brett Baer is probably a journalist. I mean, he's a conservative, but I think he's a journalist. You can't not, I mean, you can't exclude conservatism from journalism. I mean, that, that's insane. I mean, I love when people say he's a conservative, but I think he's a journalist. I mean, you know, right. it's almost like you categorically, we go here, and I did it this morning. You got the liberal mainstream media, and you got the right-wing extremist. Well, I mean, there are times in my life I am a right-wing extremist, but most days of my life I am pragmatically conservative. I've historically landed in a very pragmatic and conservative position, but what I do gets labeled as what? Right-wing extremism. What did Juan Williams say? Remember when Trump screwed up on a Friday and, and they were having a conversation on the five or whatever, and Juan Williams said, yeah, but those radio show boys will get to work Friday, Monday, and they'll clean that up for Donald Trump. I mean, we, we, we've just gotten ourselves in these, in these self-identified silos in such a profound and, um, and to me, damaging way. But it is, it is what it is. Um, you know, politics is a blood sport. There's a, um, <laughs> I left some blood on the field, so to speak. There will be others who leave, who leave blood on the field. But, but going back to Trump and, and this story about the media, can Trump win 
without Fox News? I mean, what if what if what if Murdoch is the kind of guy, and you don't end up a billionaire by being a pansy? What if Murdoch is the kind of guy that says, "Son of a gun, cost me eight hundred million dollars." We're DeSantis. I mean, we're on the DeSantis train. He can't come out and say that. I mean, obviously, and and I would imagine Tucker has uh, a lot of creative authority. I mean, he would be their Top Gun pilot. I mean, Tucker would be their ace, so to speak, of their staff. Tucker has three, four-ish million people watch his show every night. I made the argument that in conservative lore, Tucker has not replaced Limbaugh, but he's probably the next best thing to Limbaugh. If you see the world in that fashion, if you want to be spoon-fed, you know, kind of conservatism 101, the one thing that I think Tucker is, I think Tucker has a degree of intellect. Uh, I think Tucker learned conservative thought, conservative thesis at the knee of the Bill Crystals of the world, the uh, the George Wills of the world, the William Buckleys of the world, the, the intellectual conservative. Today's not uh, a real popular, I mean, that, that that mindset is not very popular in Republican circles. I'm going to actually ask um, Drew McKissick when he calls in about a story I read on J.D. Vance. Um, this is very interesting. J.D. Vance says, and he's actually signed up on a bill with Fetterman. I think Fetterman knows he did it. Um, but, but he says corporate America isn't always aligned with the national interest. That doesn't sound like the Republican Party I grew up with. I mean, the Republican Party I grew up with, corporate interest drove the train. And the the voters were kind of drag kicking and screaming at times, sometimes more willingly. But what is happening in the Republican Party today, Reb, it, it's a little bit Bernie Sanders-ish. I mean, it, it really and truly is. It's not, I mean, Robert F. Kennedy announced for president yesterday, kind of as an anti-vaxxer. And he basically said, this cabal of government and corporations it, it, I mean, he's, he's arguing for kind of a plutocracy. I mean, he's saying we've created things that we should be deeply offended by. And, and that's where a lot of Republican voters are today. I mean, it's interventionism, it's globalism, it's trade policy, it's NAFTA. I mean, I don't know that they fully understand nor comprehend the complexities of those policies. But, but you know, corporate America very often does not align with the interest of the average American. And that's what the nerve Trump touched. I mean, there, there's no, it's indisputable. That, that, and, and when I ran for lieutenant governor in 2010, I sensed that. I mean, I saw that up close and personal, and I knew at some point in time that nerve would be touched. I didn't imagine it would be a guy with a supermodel wife in his own jet. I mean, I just didn't. I imagined it would be someone of that way, a J.D. Vance, who can account that story in real time, in real person fashion, didn't read about it. Now, now does, does Superman fly? No. Did Hillbilly Elegy take creative liberties? I'm sure they did. But I've always felt that J.D. Vance could more accurately speak to the America First movement. And and Vivek Ramaswamy has kind of an interesting and compelling story that I think is very relatable. But it seems to me the Republican hierarchy is still trying to drive that round peg into that square hole. And I'm sorry. It's just not going to fit. Thought of another Fox influence or an influence over Fox content, Paul Ryan. I mean, he's on the board, right? He's on the board and, at Fox. And he's come out and said if Trump gets the nomination, he's not going to uh, the Republican convention and he, stuff. He, he ain't a big fan of America first. Right. I mean, he's an interventionist, globalist Republican, which has been the standard bearer of Republicans in days gone by. Tucker has said on his show and giving other speeches, he regrets the blind loyalty he had to neoconservatism. I'm in that camp. 
I mean, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I was a neocon. I believed in all that intervention and globalism. I thought it was going to be better for America to do those sorts of things. And I've had an awakening. I've had an epiphany. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. But that's what transitioned me from, you know, the belief in neoconservatism to this uh, radical America first Republican (laughs) that I've become. Take a break back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Have a special guest in our studio, but we also have a special guest on the phone. 805 Thursday morning, Drew McKissick, SCGOP chairman, co-chair of the National Party is with us. Drew, good morning. How are you? Man, I'm doing well this morning. How about yourself? Can I be an antagonist this morning for just a minute? Do I have permission? I don't want to blindside anybody, but can I be a bit antagonistic this morning? <laughs> well, sure. Okay, sure. you ready? Go ahead. Well, this toughens you up a little bit. You got a big job. You need to be tough to, to do that job. <laughs> so, so I'm holding in my hand an article uh, from the Wall Street Journal about J.D. Vance and a railway safety bill. And I believe, Drew, that J.D. Vance is one of the few Republicans today, I mean, there, there will be others, that could add intellectual underpinning to America first. I mean, America first, you've said it, I've said it. It is a populist movement. It's nationalist in nature. But but there is the ability for some to provide intellectual underpinning to what I would argue is kind of a shallow political um, theory right now. Here's what Vance says. And, um, and I want to get your take on this because I'd be very interested. J.D. Vance says corporate America isn't always aligned with the national interest. Uh, the Republican Electoral Coalition is becoming more working class, and its relationship with the business community has grown increasingly complicated. Well, what do you say to that? Well, I say that in uh, insofar as what he said, he's right. I think that there are things that are left unsaid in that. Uh, you know, along the lines of the conversations you and I have had in the past about you know the different strains of philosophy, if you will, that there are in the Republican Party. Uh, you know, we're a party, by the way, that is much more uh, accepting and open, I guess, in terms of disagreements within our philosophy than, say, the Democrat Party is within, you know, it's exclusively radical liberalism now. Uh, but, you know, I think as someone once said, it's possible to fall off a horse in either direction. Uh, I think, uh, you know, what we what we see in many cases here are different strains of, uh, of thought within the conservative movement that in different times rise to prominence versus different strains and sometimes things get a little out of whack. It is possible that he's right, though, in terms of, you know, uh, business interests are primarily aligned with actually doing business and making money, which, as they should be. That's what, you know, while we have CEOs and boards of directors, you know, to, to protect the capital of people who have invested the money in businesses to make money. Uh, and then we have laws which, you know, determine how that can be done, how that can be done legally that don't uh, potentially uh, adversely impact other interests in our society. And then, you know, you have to give and take in the law and politics about where those lines ought to be all the time. That's a constantly, uh, you know, ongoing battle, uh, just as you had the battle between, you know, freedom and uh, um, uh, law, you know, liberty and law back and forth, you know, we just, since the beginning of our republic. So, yeah, what he said is true, but again, there are, there are other elements of that I think that are, you know, unsaid. Drew, Drew, is it fair that people like me make people like you and your job much more complicated and difficult? Because, <laughs> I mean, it, well, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say either you're an America firster or you're a neocon. 
I know it's a lot more complicated than that. Right. That makes your job a lot more. I mean, you've got to discern and decide. I mean, it. I think you can be a little bit neoconservative and a little bit America firster and a little bit of this. And a, but, but historically, the media has, when we see this division within a party, either party, mm-hmm. the media makes you declare, are you one or the other? And that is completely yeah. and totally unfair to you as you try to build coalitions. Well, it's it, number one. It's is uh, part of it, and and I'm not throwing you in this camp, by the way. Uh, and if you think I am, then it's toughened you up this morning. <laughs> but you know, the, the folks in the media can be a little bit intellectually lazy. Uh, I think we can agree on that. Uh, and you know, labeling makes it a lot easier for them to do their quote job. Uh, and this vast oversimplifications, you know, the, sometimes to put people in certain camps. I mean, you know, for instance, even. Uh, you know, with, with the uh, back in 2015 and 2016, when you know, Donald Trump's uh, first campaign uh, for president, uh, you had people who, you know, the media and other folks within the political circles thought would be for a certain candidate. But turns out in the end, they ended up being for Donald Trump. Why? Well, they fit into the category of people who would be for, you know, let's say a more religious conservative candidate. But those folks also cared about some other issues that he began to talk about that other candidates had not been talking about, you know, up till that time. Uh, and at that time, those things mattered to them. Uh, they, so you, you can be both, you know, you can be religiously conservative and also populist at the same time. You can be populist and also, uh, uh, you know, maybe a little bit neocon at the same time. It's, it's not, as you point out, it's not as easy as people would like to make it be when it comes to labeling, no doubt about it. You mentioned that we, last question, we are, we are able to disagree within the party in a more functioning way than the other side is. And it is the other side. I mean, let's be honest. It's a duopoly. It's a binary choice in America today. Um, is do, do, do we, should we be less, <laughs> this is kind of weird to ask, but should we whip people in line a little better than, than what we do? Well, that, that brings to mind how. So, I mean, you know, we have we have nomination contests, you know, uh, all across the country. Uh, and that, that's how we choose our nominees. You know, party members come together in different forms in different states around the country, and we choose nominees. And those nominees, I mean, look, we have platforms, and probably 90% of us agree on everything that we have on our platform. We probably disagree from day to day over what the most important thing in that platform is based on our life experience. So no candidate is, by definition, going to be perfect, care about everything the same way that I do. Uh, you know, in addition to the fact that we're all human beings, I mean, politics is spelled P-E-O-P-L-E, uh, and good politics is about addition and multiplication. Uh, what do we do to get more folks on board with us and try to get our candidates to work to help us build those coalitions and satisfy as many of the, uh, the, the, the itches that need to be scratched, if you will, within our political coalition? Sometimes they don't do as good of a job as they should. Sometimes some of them do it really well, and that's part of human nature. And our job is kind of, it's a job that never ends, and you know that. That's something we're always trying to work on because people come and go. And I am proud you're there working on our behalf, my man, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you a lot, Drew. Uh, yes, sir. Have a great one. Drew McKissick, SCGOP chairman, co-chair of the National Party. It's kind of apropos that we're doing this this morning because a lot of our debate, Rev, has been – about what is media and what is not, what is journalism and what is not. I am, um, I am offering up this to everyone able to hear me. I'm not a journalist. I don't have any interest in being a journalist. When, when people send me messages and, and shop stories and they call Dave Baker and say, hey, pass this along to Ken. This is happening in our local government, in our region's government, in our, in our state government. 
I think the reason they've done that, Rev, is there's nowhere else to go. There's not been a committed journalistic effort in our area in many, many, many days. And the reason is we can call it media consolidation. We can call it secondary markets. We can call it the um, the, uh, the the day of digital. There are a lot of reasons why markets the size of Florence and the PD have not attracted the journalistic talent necessary to hold people accountable who are supposed to be held accountable. I don't do that. I mean, I'll roll out of the bed and run my mouth for four hours about whatever it is kicking in the political world. It's punditry and opinion combined with some fact. I mean, we, 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 I mean the opinions we have are we think based in a reasonable interpretation of the facts. But, but I believe that journalism will be a part of healing our political world instead of further dividing our political world. And I'm here today to introduce to you, uh, um, I would say a good friend of mine, but it's a guy I met this morning. So he's not a good friend of mine, but somebody we've communicated with over the last week or two who are going to make a dedicated effort to be journalistic and newsworthy in our neck of the woods, the PD region in particular. Tim Matthews is the publisher of the Post and Courier PD Bureau. That may be news to many, Tim, not to me, but but good morning and welcome to begin with. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Ken. And let's go down the road of the Post and Courier being a an iconic brand. I mean, I, I, sure. I don't throw that yep. word lightly. I mean, it's um, it is a very well regarded, well respected, well thought of media publication in the state of South Carolina. They're they're going to begin sooner than later. I'll let you go through some of the datelines um, of a presence in the PD region. Welcome, and and why did the Post and Courier decide? to make this commitment well what you're talking about though ken with um these kind of these newspapers that have been in communities for a long time um they've had to to you know get rid of staff they've had to regionalize just because the whole business model of newspapers has always been that two-thirds of the revenue is going to come from advertising and one-third is going to come from from subscribers now 70 percent of all advertising dollars spent on a local level in the united states goes to either google or meta. So that, that model's not going to work anymore. So, so what has happened is we call them news deserts and that's where we are. We're really focused on in South Carolina. So we, this will be our 14th community that we're going to be involved in with, with local news and really local news is priority one. I mean, we start there. We also, since we do have, you know, like I said, 14 communities, we can also pull from a, a state, a statewide basis too. So it's local first, but we have uh, a, a statewide reach as well. So what about the post and courier allows it to do things when others are doing just the opposite? Well, it's just, first of all, it's just a philosophy, um, you know, journalism first, but also we're privately owned. Um, we are, our owners basically believe in journalism and that's first. I mean, obviously you gotta, you gotta get re- advertising revenue and, sub- and subscribers to keep the lights on, but it's really about journalism and, and making sure that we hold, you know, local officials accountable. We're going to be that watchdog. What sort of presence can the PD expect? I mean, is it going to be one person in one cubicle, or is they full? Is it a full dedicated team of journalists and reporters to cover the day-to-day activities of? And I'm thinking about local politics and local sure. business and local culture. Yep. I mean, it, 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 I mean, a lot of people say, "Okay, we got one guy in one cubicle. We got a presence there." <laughs> I mean, that, that's right. been the case recently. It really and truly has. You know that as yeah. I do. Yep. What sort of commitment is the Post and Courier making to the PD? Well, we're bringing on a, uh, an editor 
Uh, Chris Day, who a lot of people have probably heard of before, he was at the Florence Morning News. We're also going to have two dedicated reporters to start on May 1st. That's our launch. That's going to be in the PD. We're looking to hire a third one and then potentially a fourth one down the road. So, so these are going to be these are going to be reporters that are embedded here in the PD, and we're going to concentrate on local news in the PD. So, Tim, well, if I'm a consumer, and historically I've read the morning news, I mean, I'm going back to days gone by, and there was uh, the ability for that paper for a long time to cover the news. Corporate media decided to abandon some of these markets. You use the word um, news desert. I, I would agree to that. Um, what can people expect? What sort of coverage? I mean, you've talked about the assets and resources, but 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 what stylistically is it going to be a digital subscription? Is it going to be included in the Post and Courier's statewide subscription? Are there going to be home deliveries of daily newspapers? Walk us through the logistics of that. Well, we're first going to start out. It's going to be uh, Post and Courier forward slash PD dot com. That's that's where we're starting. We're also going to have a newsletter that's going to be emailed out. That's going to be once a week to start. Uh, but we're looking to expand that potentially to be an everyday occurrence, that, that newsletter. Um, but it's going to be subscriber-based, um, and then we're going to start there. But there are plans to have a, some kind of print presence down the road. But it's just so expensive to, to, print, you know, to print paper right now. Let's let's take a break. I, I want to I want to get I want to can you hang around another second? Sure, sure. Okay, I want I want Tim to hang around a bit. If anybody has a call, I mean a question, uh, he'll he'll take the call. I think we talked beforehand and cleared that up. So if anybody out there wants to know more, I mean I'm trying to ask the right questions, but I don't always do it uh, the right way. So if anybody out there has a question of of Tim Matthews, who is the publisher, let's get this straight, of the PD Bureau of the Post and Courier. That's kind of I, I love saying that the <laughs> PD Bureau of the Post and Courier. Um, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is that number. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Welcome back, Tim Matthews, who is a Post and Courier, the publisher of the Post and Courier PD Bureau. Is is that uh, an accurate depiction? Yeah, that's that's accurate. Okay, yep. I've yep. got. Um, I like the way that sounds. Ken. I, I, I like, I like the way that sounds a lot. <laughs> so, so I've got two recommendations of local news ladies. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll pass those along to you after. I'll leave the, the colorful Excellent. remarks off the uh, off the. Ra- I'll just say this: it is of the Fox News model. How about that? Uh, the the, the no- local news. So so there will be a digital presence, Correct. maybe maybe not a print uh, a print edition. Talk to me a little bit. You, you're kind of you've been in this business for a while. Yeah. So, been- so so how important is it to be? I'm gonna be fancy schmancy here for a second to be vertically integrated. I mean, we've we've got a radio show. We've got a, a delivery method online. We've now got a podcast. Walk, walk me through the the investment the Post and Courier is making in the new ways news is delivered. Well, the the reason why we're going digital to start is because of the twenty four seven news cycle. Everybody, it's what people expect, um, and and we want to be able to to bring breaking news um, and do it that way. Uh, and you talk about the print. It, that is important, too, because a certain part of the community still still likes print. So we, we really are committed to that that monthly print, I think, you know, after a few months, maybe three months. I'm, I don't hope I'm not speaking out of turn in the timeline, but um, that is in the plans. So uh, but you, it, first and foremost, you have to you have to break news online. Let, uh, let me ask you this. We have a local university with a mass comm department. Are there going to be partnerships with a with local businesses with our local university? I mean, elaborate on that as much as you'd like. Well, sure. Um, we're we're looking at uh, six. We're going to have six interns on every semester. We're going to have two in advertising, uh, two in marketing, and two in the newsroom. So I look forward to working with um, 
with Francis Marion University, as well as hopefully some of the local high schools. So we can bring those interns in and, and uh, you know, expose them to what local news is and what real journalism is. And then hopefully, you know, that'll be our, our talent to our talent pool going forward. No question about it. Um, I editorialize 20 hours a week. Will there be any editorializing in the Post and Courier PD Bureau? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, Chris Day, our editor, it'll be twice a week. We'll have that. Um, and also the, um, the letters to the editor will be back by popular demand. So um, uh, it's letters at postandcourier.com. So. <laughs> letters at postandcourier. Those are phone calls transcribed That's right. in, uh, in, in verbal print or in, uh, in visual print. So you, you've got an event. Yes. that you're inviting the entire community to be a part of to, to kind of formally announce your presence in in the PD. Where, when, who's invited, how can someone attend that particular event? Well, it's going to be May 1st at the the Performing Arts Center uh, the, at Francis Marion in, in Florence. So it is, a, like you said, it's a public event. Um, you can go on to uh, you can go on to the Post and Courier's main website, and there'll, there'll be a link on there. Uh, you should be able to find it pretty easily where you can you can actually RSVP. Um, we're hoping to see, uh, you know, a lot of folks. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to see three, 400, hopefully. Um, and it'll, it'll start at five o'clock with kind of, um, you know, just a, like a cocktail hour, a little social hour. And then at six o'clock, the main, main program starts and that's, they're going to introduce me and, and Chris, um, PJ, who is our, uh, our, our publisher down in, in Charleston is going to be there. Um, and it's gonna, it's gonna be a pretty good event. And then we're going to have a panel discussion, um, afterwards, uh, that's going to talk about, uh, Florence downtown, uh, development okay well you guys have an office here i mean will there be a physical presence here yeah we have one right downtown and in, in florence um we got the whole second floor of uh one of the francis marion buildings it's the uh the medical education building so we've got that whole we got a great space we're gonna be right downtown um i, I look forward to it i can be walking just get out and walk around so um yeah that we we just opened up that office last week but um we got we have one reporter in we got another one coming uh but yeah we are going to have that local presence here all the time. And Tim, will the priorities be local government, accountability? Um, I mean, when people hear the mainstream media, that there's a paranoia. I mean, and, and I, you know, you and I talked a little bit off the air about it. Um, the majority of conservatives in America today don't believe the mainstream media gives them gives them a fair shake. Local news is different. It is it is different. Um, and I think you know, besides us, and uh, I think broadcast TV does a pretty good job of being you know being unbiased. Um, but yeah, that's that's what journalism is about. It's reporting the news and and holding pe- holding people accountable. You know, the, our um, our elected officials um, they need to be held accountable. And, and again, like I said before, we're going to be that watchdog. Okay, and uh, May the 1st at the Performing Arts Center, yep. the general public are invited. Yep. I think we'll start advertising some of that on our radio show or radio airwaves sooner. Rev, I don't want to speak out of turn, but is that the case? I mean, yep. we will sooner than later begin uh, promoting that That's true. In, uh, in that sort of way. And and, I, and I've reached out to Tim and told him, you know, I, I'm not in the news business, but we are in the communications business. And we have a large audience we try to communicate with every day. There was a day in time, Rev, correct me if I'm wrong, that Gavin Jackson and John Sweeney were associated with the morning news. They came on the uh, the radio they once a week, weekly feature, yeah, kind sure. of a weekly roundtable, and we bandied about whatever uh, issue was at hand. And I think it was therapeutic for the community to know there were assets invested in in gathering the news. And and I mean, once again, not out to get counsel. Uh, I mean, the mayor can sleep fine tonight. But but I think when you when you agree to serve an elected office, you, you should accept some journalistic oversight. And we've not had that, Tim, in a long, long... That's what excites me. I think as a former politician, 
I'm a lot better politician when I know somebody's paying attention to the work I should be doing. Sure. And talking about that, talking about politics, we have uh, we have a staff of 10 up in Columbia that is that covers the legislature. So that that's that's going to be an important part of our coverage, too. So we're going to we're going to you know, we're going to have local political coverage here in, in the PD, but also we can we can pull some some stories from Columbia, too, since we have a big presence there as well. Good deal. I really, really appreciate it. I'm excited to have you guys in our community. Um, the Post and Courier PD Bureau. I mean, I just never imagined I would say that. Um, it's been in the works for a while. I mean, kind of behind the scenes. There have been some people who have um, desperately worked on behalf of getting a local media here. Um, and I'm talking about journalism. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the Post and Courier. But more than anything, I'm excited about the PD region for the commitment that that the um I, mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it it is the um it is the best news organization in all of south carolina yeah there's no doubt about that okay thank you very much Thanks, tim Scott. matthews the publisher of the post and courier pd bureau um you'll hear a lot more as the uh the week or two the next week or two progresses but put it on your calendar may 1st at the performing arts center they'll be there kind of formally introducing themselves to to our community, to our area, um, letters to the editor. You know, I think about, I think about our good caller, Roger. <laughs> yeah. He, he can, um, <laughs> yeah, I get that. He can verbalize, <laughs> but both in orator and, and in the written word, his, um, his rants and opinions, 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You know, I mean what I said earlier, what, when I said, and I, and I'm, I'm as big a, I mean, I, I'm an anarchist. I mean, not not every waking moment. The majority of my life, I'm bobbling between libertarianism and anarchy. I mean, you know that, Rev. I'm not a big rule I follower. I mean, I've got a I got a life to prove. I ain't a big rule follower. I come from a lineage of long a long lineage of people that didn't follow very many rules. Um, I'm still believe I, I'm the biggest believer that we need more outlaws. I mean, if, if America is going to be salvaged and saved. It ain't going to be done by people who follow every rule there is to, to follow. But, but I was a better politician when I knew somebody was paying attention. And, and I mean that sincerely. Now, what the media has to understand is the rapport necessary. You, you got to have a uh, kind of a mutual respect one another. You, you can't, I'll tell you this, there, there was a certain reporter at the morning news years ago who I believed was a gotcha dude. And I mean, he couldn't, it's a weird word. You ready? He couldn't unconvince me that he was not a gotcha. So there's got to be this mutual respect. Uh, Mike Nunn, Florence County Sheriff's Office is here. Um, I think Mike accepts that the, the Sheriff's Department is to be scrutinized, is to be held accountable. And the media can serve a role in that. But the first time that a Mike Nunn or a TJ Joy or formerly yours truly believe they're there just to kind of they're in the gotcha business. You're not going to have that mutual rapport that is necessary for the political body to do a great job and the media to do the job of making sure you're doing what you're supposed to. That that's a, that's an entangled explanation, Mike. But but is there some truth in that? Well, sure there is. And uh, as public information officer for the sheriff, we're keenly aware of uh, our role in the community and that there has to be accountability. There's certainly accountability every four years for the sheriff. Uh, comes as a pretty stark reality, and uh, that's your report card. Uh, the ultimate report card is uh, every four years when the sheriff runs again for re-election. Um, but it's an ongoing uh, basis, and um, I, I share 
um, your view. Uh, most of the reporters that we have, we have a good relationship with. Um, most of them are not out to paint um, a particular bad picture of public officials. Um, uh, and, and we don't ask for favorable coverage. We just ask for fair coverage. And uh, fair coverage is when a reporter wants to come and, and uh, they may have a point of view, they may have a bias, but they're willing to sit down and listen and uh, hear the other side. And so uh, that's all we can ask for. And uh, we try to be as transparent as we can. Um, uh, Sheriff Joy is the, the, uh, the proponent of uh, if you mess up, mess up. And uh, we've done that. And uh, I think the community appreciates the openness. No question about it. And, Rev, this is about as close to journalism as we get. I mean, when, when yeah, Mike Nunn of the Florence County Sheriff's Office or Sonny Collins of the Highway Patrol come on, I mean, I think we're providing a journalistic service to our constituents. I mean, it, 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 obviously it disrupts the drumbeat of the shenanigans we do you know, the, the other time, but I still believe it's important for you, our listening audience, to understand, you know, what your law enforcement agencies local locally are up to and, and what you're doing. So what are the priorities today of the Florence County Sheriff's Office? Mike Nunn? Well, the first and foremost is uh, protection of the community and our citizens and uh, making every effort uh, that we keep our citizens, especially our children in schools and other places, as safe as we possibly can. How do you prioritize? I mean, obviously, that's a moving target. Something that is most important today may not be most important six months from now or a year from now. As a, as a law enforcement agency, how do you decide, okay, these are the two or three things that we need to most focus on or most closely be aware and guarded about? Well, as you're probably aware, it, it all comes from the top and the sheriff's vision for uh, the agency and how it uh, should best respond to the needs of the community. And so um, the sheriff uh, sets the course and uh, he uh, entrusts his uh, command staff to uh, – uh, implement his um, his goals and his strategies. So uh, it's a it's a constant, everyday, evolving uh, situation. Is there anything particular right now? We're talking about the beginning of summer. I mean, if Sonny were here, Sonny had a conflict, can't be here today. I'm sure Sonny would talk about the beginning of summer, the end of school year. I mean, you're not just responsible for the highways and byways. You have uh, home break-ins don't happen more in the summer or more. I mean, I don't imagine they do. There may be some data that shows that. But but what are things this time of the year you're most aware of and focused on? Sure. Well, statistics will uh, bear out that uh, there is some increase in crime during the summer months. Um, it's just a fact. Uh, some of this crime is committed by uh, juveniles, um, teenagers who would otherwise be occupied in school. Uh, so that's just a fact. So we try to pay attention to uh, property crimes, especially during uh, the run-up to summer and uh, throughout the summer till school gets back started again. Mike, how, how pr much of a priority are property crimes? I mean, obviously homicides would take, uh, you know, drug crimes, some of these other uh, th crimes that include some violent act, one person against another. But, but, but property crimes are a pain in the butt. I mean, your lawnmower got stolen, your weed eater got stolen, and you don't believe the sheriff's department cares much about it because they're trying to find somebody who shot three people. Or, I mean, take us inside the organization, and, 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 if, and if somebody broke into my work shed and stole my lawnmower and my two weed eaters, 
obviously I accept that it's not as important as a double murder, and I understand that. But but what sort of um what what sort of effort is given to those sorts of property crimes? Well, <clears throat> so we we try to treat every uh, crime on a case by case basis, and I'm not saying that we prioritize a lawnmower um, being stolen over something else. All of these things are typically connected, Ken. The fact that your lawnmower got stolen is probably directly related to illegal narcotics. Because my guess is the person who stole your lawnmower isn't looking to use it to make money to feed his family. He's starting a landscaping business. He's not doing that. So um, he's stealing that lawnmower to sell it to buy drugs in the vast majority of instances. So none of this is uh, isolated. It's all related to something else. And so the, the vast majority of property crimes and certainly a high percentage of our violent crime is fueled by the illegal narcotics. That's why we try to spend so much time um, interdicting, uh, trying to um, uh, minimize and, and do the best we can on the narcotics front. Last question. When I watch a debate about the southern border, I normally don't go to the Florence County Sheriff's Department. I mean, my mind goes to what what Congress can do, what the federal government can do. But but yesterday and the day before, I'm watching you know one of these committees. I mean, the, the Democrats tell the guy get a job he's doing. The Republicans tell him how. I mean, it's typical uh, partisan politics. But but then there was a there was a moment during the hearing that they they talked about or or the the Republicans accused the Democrat of not being as committed to stop in the flow of fentanyl across our southern border that fentanyl some of that fentanyl a percentage of that fentanyl ends up in Florence county um are there things the federal that you wish i'm not asking you to put the federal government in its place but are there things that you wish the federal government would do to assist local law enforcement in dealing with fentanyl and other illicit narcotics fentanyl is killing florence county citizens elaborate um, not a week goes by almost daily. We get some, uh, call for an overdose somewhere in the County. Many of them result in death. Uh, if, uh, we're fortunate and we can get to the individual in time, EMS can get to them, administer Narcan or some other type of, um, uh, opioid reversal, uh, medication. Maybe we can save that person. But um, I know we responded to a call the other day of a a drug overdose, and unfortunately, it was fatal. So, um, you know, fentanyl is finding its way not only into heroin, um, it's also being um, uh, used in marijuana. So that uh, when your kid goes to buy the dime bag, thinking it's just weed, and, um, excuse me, turns out it's laced with fentanyl. and uh, get a completely different result than what they were expecting. So uh, the the cartels are ruthless. Uh, the narcotics uh, traffickers are ruthless. They don't care. Um, they're just interested in making the money and uh, gaining a reputation for having the the most potent uh, product out there. And uh, it's killing uh, people all over the country. Florence County is no exception. I read the other day where they expect over a hundred thousand. Uh, fentanyl deaths in the United States in a year. Um, completely unacceptable. That eclipses gun violence, so-called gun violence, and 
you know, uh, any other type of um, um, uh, problem that we measure uh, fatalities on. Uh, It just eclipses that. And the federal government, from our view, has just turned a blind eye to the border and is allowing not only um, people that we don't know who they are coming over, the cartels are uh, apparently, uh, you know, if you read accounts, are in control of the border. And uh, for whatever reason, I've never been able to understand the uh, the government does not uh, believe that the uh, the fentanyl crisis is a problem because they're certainly not demonstrating it by their actions. Well explained. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Sam and Cross Hill. Good morning. You're on the air. All right. Good morning, fellas. Uh, that's real good news about the Post and Courier. They, those guys do some really good investigative journalism uh, 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 that I've read. Um, I've got to uh, let you know, uh, Ken, that uh, you got me kind of riled up again talking about my Fox News channel uh, this morning. And uh, uh, let's just remember, Trump made Murdoch and all the major media a lot of money over the last few years, and he continues to do so today. Uh, you ask what will probably happen uh, with the base leave him, or leave Fox, and uh, if they take a different slant. But I believe that uh, you already have a case study there. You know, when, when Fox called Arizona early that evening, election night, a lot of the base kind of moved over to Newsmax and, and Owen. And uh, I think I got I to gotta step in and I got to support the uh, – Beautiful ladies of Fox News. Um, these folks, I have followed a lot of their careers. I followed Sandra Smith and Martha McCallum uh, for many years, and they come out of the uh, uh, the business world and and got their bona fides in at CNBC, and then moved over into Fox and worked their way up into the anchor positions and shows that they have now. Uh, so I guarantee you, they can do more than read a teleprompter. As I heard you say, Erin Burnett also came up through those same ranks, but she went off the rails and went over to uh, um, CNN, and I never understood that. And then you got Shannon Bream, too, who's really sharp, a legal analyst for uh, for Fox. So let's give them a little bit more credit than just pretty faces that can read telephones. Okay? Fair enough. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it, my man. And Ainsley Earhart is from South Carolina. She's a University of South Carolina graduate and – Where's that proudly? But but I, I'm a little you know, bit Fox of a Fox and friends. But no, I'm a little bit of a Fox antagonist. You know I am. But yes, by you nature, are. I mean I, I've always been a little bit antagonistic toward toward Fox. I mean so, I, I, some of this I do to try and provoke a response. You guys are such a valuable part of what we do. The more interactive you agree to be, the better these shows are. I am a better host if we get more calls. You stimulate me. You, you force me to think out. Uh, my views and the way I see things, I mean, this is not a dictatorship by any stretch of the imagination, that this is not me with a microphone, you with a radio or a computer, and, and you know, taking marching orders. I mean, there's nothing, nothing, nothing resembles that in our universe. I mean, we, we, we pride ourselves in this respectful debate and dialogue we have every single day. Uh, it's the beauty of talk radio. I mean, I, you know, I love to say it's the last bastion of independent thinking and, uh, you know, just uh, public disagreement. It may be. I mean, it may genuinely be that. But I've always been somewhat of a Fox antagonist, even when Ailes was there. I mean, I, I, I completely and totally accept that they are a, a giant. They are a monster. 
I mean, I think um, Decker referred to them as a juggernaut. I mean, they are a media juggernaut unrivaled in America today. I mean, if you, <laughs> I'm serious, it's, they're, they're a big deal. I just wonder if Murdoch will take it personally that Trump cost him $787.5 billion. Would you? I bet he will take I mean, it personally. Do, do you think that, that Murdoch is probably somewhat of an alpha male? We know Trump is. So, so there's somewhere a conversation going to be had about that SOB cost us <laughs> nearly a billion dollars. I don't want his blankety blank back on my network ever again. Uh, that's, that's just, that's the real world. That's the way the world works. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. 38 special, right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Good deal. Good deal. Un- on- unmistakably 38 yeah. special. Somebody dude. on the phone? Yes. Let's go there. Charles in Lamar. Hey, Charles. I don't know how much y'all pay Jeff to be on the show, but I'll tell you, he's working. He's got to be increasing your listenership. Yesterday, AT&T had some kind of a phone problem, and I couldn't call. And I tried. I, I, I dialed your number 12 times and couldn't get through uh, in response to his uh, time where, of course, everything's all about January 6th. It was all Trump's fault, and CNN and MSNBC NBC, uh uh, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and Fox News can't read the truth out of the Bible. I, I'm sorry I didn't get back in touch until today, but I just want to let you know that having him on stirs up my interest in calling in the show. And so wh- whatever you're paying him, you're getting your money's worth out of it because uh, he's, he's doing a good job. Um, this Post and Courier thing, I think that is absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I think they're a great newspaper. We have been missing local media coverage uh, here in the PD for a long time. And I just wonder, are they going to be doing your, your local news uh, that we're currently hearing? Because if so, I'm sure going to miss hearing those two- and three-day-old stories out of Scotland County and Robinson County. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> Y'all have a great day. Thank you, Charles. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, I mean, Ch- Charles is a big part of our show. I mean, you, and, and I want to say this, and, and I mean it sincerely. I do a better job interacting with you. I mean, Rev and I see one another four hours every day. Every day. I look through this glass or beside me, and he's there, and I'm here. And and, and that inspires you, but so much. I mean, there, there's redundancy. There There's a, um, I mean, I don't want to say a boredom that goes along with that, but, but you guys take us in directions and have ideas that I've not thought of. And, and I get these texts and a lot of you have my cell phone number and you send text and, and, and you, you, your opinions matter to me. I mean, they matter enormously to me. I think the more Jeff's, the better the radio show is. I disagree with 99% of what Jeff says, but Jeff certainly has a right to say it. And he has a right to be heard. He has a right to articulate his worldview as he sees fit. And, and, you know, Jeff has selective processes. You know, it's all about January 6th and, and Trump. But, I mean, Jeff's not crazy enough to believe that MSNBC tells the truth and, and CNN tells the truth and Fox is the only one off the reservation saying these things that are fundamentally um, dishonest. But, but it's, I mean, the, the one thing ownership did when, when community broadcasters became our owners, they, they wanted this to be more interactive. They wanted our listeners to call in more. 
I still want to do something else. Rev and I have debated how can we have a text in real time or an email in real time. A lot of you don't like to speak verbally, but you're a little bit nervous. You know, you, you don't like the way you sound on the radio. I've had people tell me, man, I'm country. And I said, don't stop with that. I mean, I don't even hear that. <laughs> that may be an excuse in a lot of places. That's no excuse um, here. Listen to me every single day, every single morning. But you guys make the show, you guys and gals make the show better. And that's not butt kissing. I mean, that's not brown nosing. That's true. It inspires me. It motivates me. It causes me to to kind of um, address the way I see things and why I believe um, things to be true to the issue of the Post and Courier. I don't want to call names, Charles, but but I've been involved. I mean, Rev knows for the past year, there's been a group of us um, trying to convince them that it's worth their time to devote some resources to this area. Um, I'm certainly not the one that convinced them to do this, but but I was included. I actually came home well, I came, came to work the next morning and told Rev, I said, I don't have any idea why I'm in that room. Um, you know, the, the, what, what room? I mean, it was one night at 7 o'clock. I told Rev, I said, I've got to meet at 7 o'clock tonight. You have a meeting at 7 o'clock and you're going to? Uh, that's hard to believe, yeah, but I did. I went, I went, and um, and it was about this. This would have been uh, eight or ten months ago, maybe a year ago, and out of that came the, the, the concept that, you know, the current media arrangement is insufficient. I mean, it just is. I get it. I mean, they were bought by a big corporation. The corporation perceives certain markets to be more lucrative than other markets. I mean, Rev, correct me if I'm wrong. We're in the 185th biggest radio market in America. Yeah, it changes. It's actually, I mean, it's actually below 200. Now. Okay, but I mean, it, to sit in Chicago or That's Atlanta right. or New York or or um or Boston. I mean, this is not a big major American market. But but enough people convinced the Post and Courier, who I believe is the premier news organization in South Carolina to consider putting a bureau in the PD. There was a lot of arm twisting. There, there were a lot of arrangements and deals made off the side. Um, I asked them, and I'll tell you this, I said, why am I in the room? I mean, I didn't say that in the meeting, but, but I said, why am I in this room? And, and one of the forces said, you're the only person that has figured out a way to be successful in media at this, in this community, at this level. And I'm talking about, you know, I'm from Florence. But, but Sumter and Orangeburg would qualify as markets that we broadcast in. Uh, that's why you're here. Because everybody else that has tried to, you know, uh, uh, prosper in the media have failed. You figured out a way, me and Dave Baker figured out a way to make a buck, get a few listeners, and, and stay in business for uh, going on 11 years. But, but it, it's, it is exciting to know that there's going to be a media outlet here that will cover what your local government's doing. Now, now, what I don't want to happen, I mean, nobody's asked me, I don't want it to be gotcha journalism. I mean, there seems to be points to be scored when it's gotcha journalism. I hope they're very serious and cerebral and, and not sympathetic, but understanding that, you know, politics is complicated. And, and when, you know, when a certain uh, Congress, excuse me, a certain council member of the city or county and, and the PD region of South Carolina, they'll cover all the cities. I mean, obviously, Florence is the center of the PD because the Grand Strand's kind of, um, it's almost a nation of its own, to be honest with you. But, um, but no, that, it, I'm it, old enough to remember the days when there were two television stations, newspaper, go through ra- that the, the radio station. In, in the best days of radio, I mean, you guys had a, a news person on sure, staff. Sure. Uh, and the not too far back past, um, 
like I say, you had uh, television stations that had reporters, the radio stations, we had reporters, uh, newspaper had reporters, and all of them went to, for example, city and county council meetings and reported on those happenings and asked those questions. And I think that's what you're talking about with the news desert, that there's not really anybody doing that well, I mean, anymore. No, and and I get these stories. I mean, I've said this before. I get a email or I get a text or I get a, it's normally not a text. It's normally a, a direct message on Twitter or a private message on Facebook. I'll get a message and it's say, like, have you heard about such and such? Um, why don't you check on such and such? I'm not in that business. I'm not an investigative journalist. I don't have any interest in being an investigative journalist. We get politically proactive, but there's no doubt about it. When I thought they were trying to cram a bad school board referendum down your throat, I mean, I, I, I engaged at, at a much more intense level than I normally do. I actually went to a couple of meetings speaking out against the referendum because I thought it was a bad idea. That would have been me as a citizen, not, not me as a member of the media. I mean, as somebody who's a former politician who understands, or I think I understand, good referendums and bad referendums, and you support good ones, you try to stop the bad ones from happening. That would have been the only time we've gotten, um, we, we've taken our ability to move the meter and try to influence a political debate. Uh, well, I mean, that's unfair, too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm being dishonest there because I endorsed and supported Jay Jordan over Mike Rickenbach in that race. Um, how'd that work out for the old boy? Um, I mean, I'm talking about if I could move the meter, you know, there would have been a different outcome there. Uh, and, and as it relates to the referendum, though, I, th- I thought we played a role of informing the public of something that really wasn't well known at the beginning. And you felt like the public, obviously, ultimately, the public made the decision. And that's why, I say, that's why I say we became a quasi-member of the media. We were informing the public. We didn't give our opinion as much as we did what the truth was. The truth was that the school board was asking for the largest tax increase in the history of Florence County in February. See, I don't need to know a lot more. I mean, as an old politician, I kind of know what's going on there. The largest tax increase in the history of Florence County is going to take place not in a normal election cycle, but in February of an off year. I mean, that, my, 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 my cynicism carries the day when I hear that part about it. But, but yes, it's, it's unbelievably exciting that somebody like the Post and Courier has agreed to make a, uh, a pretty big commitment to a market like the PD. That, that's exciting. It's encouraging to me. It's, um, and I know behind the scenes who did the heavy lifting. I know who convinced them to make this um, decision. I know who are kind of funding some of this or helping make this uh, be affordable. Uh, it probably won't be a big money winner or a money maker, but it, it's got to be something they can't lose money on. So I'm excited, and that's why I reached out. I'll ask you this. that There was a day, and I'd ask our listeners. I'd love to hear your feedback here. Remember um, years ago, we had the Friday Roundtable and Gavin Jackson of the Morning News or John, uh, John, John Sweeney, Sweeney of the Morning News, yours truly, and Dr. Neil Thigpen and occasionally Rod Jernigan. I mean, we'd have a um, somewhat of a brouhaha at times on Friday mornings. Um, there, there was one morning Thigpen said, yeah, y'all got to stop now. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, Jernigan and I got kind of testy toward yeah. One another. Pretty he, intense well, across I mean, the he table. has a certain belief, and I have a, a, a different belief, and he believes passionately in what he thinks, and I'm, I'm just the opposite of that. Uh, and I'm talking about my beliefs are the opposite. My passion is, is absolutely as intense. So, so should we try to collaborate with the Post and Courier and get someone from that organization on our airways once a week, updating us 
on the stories they're covering. I think that is of value to our listeners. Uh, you're not going to get journalism from me. You're not going to get reporting from me. So what if we had someone from there come on our airwaves once a week and just kind of bring you up to speed on what they're working on, what they have found out to be true, what their journalistic reporting, uh, what road that has led them down? I think it would be. But but I, I can make a lot of calls on this radio. I can't make the calls on behalf of the Post and Courier. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Florence. Hello, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Ken, uh, I don't think you've discussed it yet, but I want to talk about this situation in Columbia where the uh, the judge decided uh, important to release a uh, murderer 15 years in advance on a, a secret motion that was filed that even the solicitor or the sheriff didn't know about. Um, and it's almost like these uh, we keep getting situation after situation where um, – the judiciary continues to um, prove that we need to elect judges. Um, I think we'll see some some heads roll on this situation. I think the uh, Supreme Court's already um, ruled that that motion has to be unsealed or something. Um, but uh, once again, we have another situation um, that shows that the judiciary must be put, picked directly by the people and that the uh, General Assembly is just losing their uh, legitimacy in picking judges. Thank you, Ken. Uh, Jim, you still there? Yeah. Um, was Alvin Bragg elected or appointed? He was elected. Okay. Well, let me, I'm saying it cuts both ways. I'm not dismissing nor discounting what you're saying, and it's an abomination. I mean, I, I'm with you. What happened, and, and we'll, we'll kind of go down that road tomorrow with the delegation but, but, yeah, I mean, what, what happened, and Don Beatty, I'm going to give Don Beatty a little credit, he's trying to find a solution or rectify some of the um, the misgivings of Casey Manning. It's, it's an abomination. It should have never happened. It's disgusting. It's an insult to the South Carolina judiciary. But, but electing judges could lead to someone like Alvin Bragg as well. But at least Alvin Bragg told us who he was. I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, but but, but – yeah. You and I have had this debate for a couple of years now. We agree there's no perfect way to elect judges. You believe public electing of judges is better than the General Assembly making that appointment. I kind of agree with you. I'm just not as convinced as you are. I, I just think we need to put everything on the table, and, and that's what elections do is they put everything on the table. You know, what? And I get your point about Alvin Bragg, but at least Alvin Bragg had to put it on the table, and everybody knew what they were getting. So there was no surprises with Alvin Bragg. Well explained. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it, my man. We don't, I mean, there there you go. I mean, there's the beauty in some of this show. I mean, Jim and I don't disagree. Well, we do disagree a touch. He's convinced that the public election of judges would provide a better judicial system in South Carolina than the current one where the General Assembly appoints. I mean, he's convinced of that. I believe that's the case, but I'm not anywhere near as convinced as Jim is, all the good work that the what, what was the judges in the Alec Murdoch case? Uh, what's his name? His name escapes me. Oh, I know. Uh, but Clifton, it, uh, yeah, Judge Cliff uh, Newman. Cliff, Cliff Judge Newman. Cliff Newman. Um, I mean, he really. What am I here? He. Uh, He's the example. He was a great ambassador yep. for judgeships in South Carolina. Um, every good deed he did. It's going to be wiped away by this egregious episode of just judicial malpractice. I mean, that's what it is. It is absolute judicial malpractice, what has been allowed to happen. We'll try to update 
Um, I mean, I think Will's got a big article on Fitz News about it, and Will's always been a, a guy who says the judicial, the way we appoint judges, is one of the most egregious ways in all of America. I think we, along with Virginia, are the only two states in America that continue to elect judges. You, you know what bothers me more than anything, and, and I'll offend some of my buddies, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I got to call it like I see it. The lawyers like this system. I would rather the lawyers not like it. I mean, it's almost like a manufacturer likes EPA. I mean, as a manufacturer, I didn't like OSHA. I didn't like EPA. I didn't like DHEC. The lawyers say they really like the way we elect judges. That bothers me. That would be like a manufacturer saying, man, I love EPA. I love DHEC. I love um, OSHA. No, no. I, I, we need lawyers saying, I'm not sure I like the way we're picking judges. Uh, it's just it's too uh, country clubbish as far as I'm concerned. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. David in the PD. Hey, David. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, Ken. When I was thinking about Fox News, isn't it every time they somebody's got a book deal, they want to call you, right? That's the only time they call. We get the big stars <laughs> when they're writing a book. You know how That's that works. What I, have. I, I, I remember that time uh, Judge Janine or somebody you had her on the show. I think you've had Brett Bear or whatever they. But hey, remember Jimi Hendrix, man, uh, Foxy Lady, uh, and and uh, I get part of that. I mean, I would love for Ainsley to be on your podcast because she was on Channel Nineteen. She's a USC grad. Uh, think about there's some lady named Dagan something. She's got a country accent. I like her, and Lisa Booth. But the best one that, that I like, man, I'm the wild-eyed Southern boy. Met the Yankee Rose, and that was a David Lee Roth song. And people used to come to her and say, "Gosh, you look like Maria Bartiromo." So that's that's where the North and South can get along. But uh, if you think about it, without Fox News, how could you see people like Jim Jordan? Uh, John Kennedy, I love him because he's, he could, he could be hanging out at the Pepsi Cola machine back in the seventies at the filling station. You never could see him. Could you see Rand Paul? I mean, so there would be no Republican outlet, uh, without probably being the foil on meet the press. So anyway, if there was no Fox news, we'd be living in this Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon fairy tale world. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. That's kind of an interesting observation, and and people have asked me before, why do you think Fox has such a large audience? Well, it's pretty easy. I mean, if America's divided, and and half of us just use the old terminology. You ready, Rev? Half are conservative and half are liberal. I mean, you got varying degrees of conservatism. You got varying degrees of liberalism. But let's say there's a fifty yard line. And on this side resides the half, half the country who identifies conservative. The other 50% identifies liberal. And once again, um, there are some that can shake hands with one another. A little bit liberal, a little bit conservative, a uh, little bit complicated in some of their political views. And then you've got, you know, more conservative people, less conservative or less liberal people. But if the nation's equally divided, and half the country has NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post. 
it's go, there's going to be dispersed unevenly. I mean, there's going to be it's going to be diluted. And on this side of the 50, you've got half of America and you've got Fox and talk radio. So when somebody says, well, explain the craziness to the success of talk radio or the craziness. I mean, has America lost its mind? I mean, did you know that Fox News has millions and millions of viewers and these damn fools with radio shows have ratings better than country music or or pop or rock and roll? Well, I mean, think about it. On this side of the 50 is half the nation. That they've got a smorgasbord. I mean, they've got more opportunities and alternatives than you could imagine. They can go here and get, you know, gratification and affirmation. They can go there. They can go. And over here, half the nation say, the only people that don't make me feel like weirdos is Fox News and talk radio. So when when people on the left try to understand the phenomenon that is talk radio, the phenomenon that has become um, Fox News, it's pretty easy. It's called math. <laughs> <laughs> right. Half the country go two places. The other half go a hundred separate places, and it dilutes audiences. I mean, if you combine CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, I mean, they probably have the same viewership as Fox, but Fox is the only show in town. But I guess uh, Newsmax now has um kind of tried to make a, uh, a mark or a, yeah, I mean, uh, an indention into that, that market share. And I mean, I, I love it. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I love doing something with very little competition. I mean, I've told Rev this yeah. before. I mean, if we can't hold our own in the six to 10 time slot, shame on us. Because some of you out there want to want to enjoy conversations in the morning and political theater and debate and dialogue and, um, and you know, a little bit of red meat here and there, a little bit of sensationalism um, here and there, a little bit of entertainment and spunk here and there. But, but I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I would imagine in bigger markets, they're competing morning shows. I mean, I, I guess the, you know, New York, I would imagine has one, I mean, even in, let's use this as in Myrtle Beach. I mean, Myrtle Beach has competing morning shows. One um, lady does a show and another man do a show. And I would imagine they're competing for the same market share. But it's not hard to understand why Fox has so many viewers and talk radio has so many listeners. We're kind of the only show in town. Well, and, and I'll add this, David, by the way, we have tried to get Maria Bartiromo on the show and our schedules have never worked out. They've given us Charlie Gasparino a couple times uh, when we've called, but but we haven't gotten Maria Let, let me tell you the most disgusting part of my job. You ready? When, when Cato was here, and we, we're, we got a new guy coming Monday. Yep. We got a new producer will be on the job come Monday. Um, when Cato was here and and Rev was, um, I mean, Rev's having to work a little bit now, but when Rev sat over here and played <laughs> on his computer and, right. you know, checked Facebook out and, and anyway, yep. all that stuff that he does. He works his butt off after he leaves here, but I'm not sure he's doing it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Continue. Well, Your I mean, point. Every female guest. Should I say this or do you want to say it? I, I, I don't, know. You, you, I don't you, even know what you're going to you say. say. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know damn well what I'm about to say. <laughs> so every female guest that we lined up, whether through Fox News or not, by the time that person got off the air, I knew exactly what they looked like. Now, we never Googled a dude. <laughs> We had a lot of guys call in, right? I mean, you know, we get this list. Don't and, you don't you like uh, putting a face with the voice? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if that's now here's the funny part. Helps you ready? Relate. So Cato <laughs> researches, you know, the background of one of our guests, and she has um, a very unique Facebook page. Can I say that, Rev? Yeah, I think it was Instagram. It was Instagram. Yeah. It was Instagram. Um, 
well, let, let, let's do it. She was scantily clad. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And she was, uh, there was a lot there. I mean, there was a lot kicking. And it was, I mean, Cato just like got, I'll never forget that. He, he came running in here, nearly knocked the door off the hinges. <laughs> hey, man, check this out. I said, you got to show me that after we talk, man. You can't show me that before we in- interview this lady. So, so I am an enlightened and woke individual working in a dungeon of, of dark enlightenment. I mean, you know, when, when Cato was here and Rev, it never failed. It never, and I'm talking about not some of the time, not most of the time. It's like follow the money all of the time. <laughs> Every time we had a female guest, they Googled her to see what she looked like and if she was worthy of coming on <laughs> on the show or not. Um, Just helps you relate, well, I, I, think, I guess I, mean, I don't that's have it. any idea. I don't have, Maybe but, but I remember that one particular person that had that Instagram uh, account, and it was it was pretty cool to watch the Bible thumping Cato <laughs> work through that um that human emotion. And, and by the way, we found out that that works both ways. They Google us sometimes because we'll see posts later on that talk about their appearance on the show, and and legitimately sometimes they ask for a copy of the audio so they can link it up. They they use it in their promotion or whatever. But obviously sometimes they do a little bit of research too. Okay. I, I guess I'll start wearing collars with shirts on again. <laughs> Let, let's go. <laughs> collars with shirts on. Shirts, shirts with, with collars. Collar. Yeah, that's that. Um, I got gotcha. you. Well, let's think of a way to include shirt and collar. It could be a, 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 a anyway. Uh, yeah. Let's go to the phone. Nick in Lexington. Hello, Nick. Hey, fellas. It's hard to believe that a female from Fox might be a smoke show. <laughs> that is hard to believe. Um, yeah. Boy, that's a, that's a stretch, isn't it? Um, I was just going to make a uh, – I caught on YouTube, Trey Gowdy is promoting a book, and I thought he might be right up your alley for a for an interview. I would imagine if Trey's promoting a book in the next 10 days, we'll get a notice <laughs> that he's available to come on our show. And he's been on before. He's been on our show before, and um, and I've tried I'm to – for your podcast, you know, to go in like – you know, because he talked about he was on Will Kane, and you might want to watch it. And it was it was satellite, you know. But he's apparently got a studio at his house. But he talked about the Gamecocks and him being a Gamecock, and just more talking about how good Shane was doing and how he liked Dabo. And I just thought, you know, this is a this is the interview Ken needs to be doing. There you go. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, we've I talked we've talked about doing a podcast non-political related um i mean I, i've said it before the best the best podcast imaginable but i'm not trey trey's a national figure now i mean trey's on fox news trey got a break he got tired of being a member of congress um he came home he had a certain personality and flair and um and he was discovered so to speak and um and trey had a couple of red meat moments on fox news uh david made an interesting point so if Fox is not in business, I mean, the world prior to Fox, does Jim Jordan ever be heard? I mean, does some of the uh, Ted Cruz, when Ted Cruz lights into a, a Homeland Security director, is that just, you know, a tree falling in the forest with nobody there? I mean, so, so some of the big moments. Unless you watch C-SPAN. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, how many people watch C-SPAN? Very right, few. My point. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, so Fox has, yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's very fair. That um, that what would the world be like if Fox had not intervened in this media political relationship in a um in, in kind of a different way? But I think Rev would agree with me. 
they're not exactly news. I mean, you refer to them as a news organization, but you accept that they're not exactly news. Well, they're, they're some of, I mean, they are some news and they do a good job on some news. There's, there's no doubt about that. But, but it's, I mean, it's a business. I mean, it's, it's an entertainment business that they have built and it's highly successful. It is. Um, I mean, I would imagine if you're a liberal member of the media, they frustrate you to the, to the nth degree. Every time you get the Nielsen ratings, every time you get the Nielsen ratings and see that they had, you know, three times the audience you had because you went to Harvard, uh, you've done everything you were required. You, you've, um, you went to the Carol King concert. You, um, you, you know, you did everything required of you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's certain checks and boxes that you got to put as a liberal. So you've done everything. You went to journalism school. Um, you worked at the soup kitchen, you went to Carol King concert, you bought a Volvo. I mean, you've done everything required and a million people are watching you, 5 million are watching Jesse Waters. I mean, that's got to rub you the wrong way. <laughs> but, but once again, to me, it's a simple, uh, it's, it's, it's a reality of math. Half the country have two choices. The other half have, uh, an abundance of choices. And, and that's just, that comes down to, <laughs> to simple math. As far as I'm concerned, I, I didn't know Trey had written a book. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Trey has a Sunday uh, night show, on, or it might be Saturday night, Saturday or Sunday night on Fox, uh, on Fox. Yeah. and um, he's back and forth a good bit there. I've not spoken to Trey in a long time. Trey got elected. Trey beat Bob Inglis in that congressional seat in the upstate the same time I won the race for lieutenant governor. So, so Trey and I, Nikki and Tim, I'm trying to think of who else, Mick Mulvaney, I mean, all of us ran at the same time. We were kind of, um, I, I'm trying to think of, well, did anybody have, Tim was a county council chair in Charleston County. Nikki was a house member. I'm trying to think of what Mick was. Mick was not an elected official. Trey was not an elected official. He was a solicitor, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was a, a solicitor, but I'm not sure they elect solicitors. And I was kind of the, um, I mean, I was the, the, the guy that nobody could. Uh, you know, so, well, where, where is he from and, and what is he doing and uh, what's he doing here is, is a better question. But we all won. I mean, I remember that going to the Republican breakfast the following morning and sitting at the table. We had a big table set up for all of us who had won, uh, you know, these elections statewide and at the federal level. And that's kind of an interesting lineup, for lack of a better word. Um, you got Trey, you got Mick, you got Tim, you got Nikki trying to think of who uh tom rice now nah, that would have been later tom rice got elected ori county council chair the same time i got elected um lieutenant governor uh, anyway there, there's a lot of um noteworthy people hmm. in that class and then there's me <laughs> 843-661-0937 is our number we'll take a break we'll be back on the other side, 843-661-0937. Maybe we call tomorrow a Carol King uh, Friday. <laughs> really? We, we, we kick, um, we kick, not your straight, the, the Eagles. Eagles. We kick the Eagles to the side and play a Carol King song. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. I, I vote no. But here's <laughs> Chad in Florence. Hello, Chad. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, I'm still chuckling thinking about Cato knocking the door off the hinges <laughs> uh, to come show you an Instagram page. Uh, testosterone is a hell of a drug, fellas. We all know that. Hey, and I, I tell you, Cato is a, a devout <laughs> Christian. I refer to him as our Bible thumper. But there, there's certain things that cloud your judgment, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a man, I fully understand. <laughs> hey, just a couple quick things here since we're getting ready to wrap up. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the Post and Courier is taking a vested interest in Florence. But as a 18-year resident of Charleston, 
uh, we often refer to it as the, the newsless courier. Um, I say that kind of in jest, and I, I'm optimistic about the opportunity, but it is well known for being somewhat of a liberal-leaning um, publication, so I, I think we might want to proceed with a little bit of caution um, in terms of how they represent Florence or, or, or maybe kind of skew the, the population a bit. Um, but that was just a thought. And, and also with in regards to Fox and Trump, you know, I, I, I see that's a lot of money to lose in a lawsuit, but gosh knows Fox has made a lot of money off of Trump over the last few years. And I can't help but think if Rupert Murdoch and Trump got in a room, they'd probably fist bump and say, yo, yo, we even, you know, <laughs> uh, because um, uh, although that's a, a huge blow, it's also a great opportunity for Fox to continue moving on and making money with their viewership. And I can't help but think they would lose a lot of uh, conservative viewers if they were to vocally speak out against Trump or kind of start, you know, vehemently uh, supporting another candidate. But um, I'll leave y'all with that and uh, have a great day, fellas. Points well made. Thank you, Chad. Appreciate that. Let's go to the phone. Another caller, Tim and Pamplico. Hey, Tim, you're on the air. Hey, Ken. So I can see that thing up there now when you were up there with Trey and Nikki and all them other guys you mentioned. They were standing around. They said, well, what does he do? Well, oh, that's Trey Gowdy. He's a uh, solicitor. What's that guy over there do? Oh, he's going to be the lieutenant governor. Well, what's he do? Well, he builds truck bodies and farms. <laughs> I see that now. But, and that would be just like us rolling from Pamplico. That's the way we roll. Thank you, Tim. That's Appreciate that. I mean, I told Rev during the break, it, it is kind of interesting – you know, who was in that class? And, you know, and obviously those guys and ladies have gone on to bigger and better things uh, politically. I think I won. I mean, in all honesty, I think I ended up in a better place. Um, but, but yeah, you know, there, there, there's a certain... Ah, I want to be respectful. There, there's something in all of us that, that we want to be recognized. I mean, you do, I do, we all do. Um, some would say, no, I'm a humble man. I don't care for the recognition. We all like to hear somebody say thank you. We all like to be appreciated. But but politics has something about it where, where the, the personalities of the people who are uber successful in politics, or I call it the bent gene. It's just a little bit different. And, and I, I mean, I, I think Rev will vouch for me. I mean, I, I don't want to put him on the spot here, but I've just never been – that i mean i you know i accept oh, yeah. that, that i chose a public life i mean i host a radio show um i ran for office but 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 it's i liked the game i mean i enjoyed the gamesmanship i enjoyed the strategy i enjoyed the chase the pursuit the trying to convince more people in that room to vote for me than than tim or nikki or whomever else i was competing and against i'll say this there's been times we've had to push you to put your name on things, for example, or to, you know, marketing, uh, name on the logo. I mean, you weren't all about I mean, all that stuff. But, but how can I credit? But I mean, I how, how can I say, Hey man, I'm a small town guy, not seeking all the attention when every time you turned around, I'm seeking the attention. I just, I, I don't, you know, the attention is meaningless to me. It, it really and truly is. The attention is meaningless to me. Um, the, the job matters to me. Being lieutenant governor matters to me. I mean, I've still got all the, I mean, you've seen the scrapbook with all the, you know, my wife yeah. kept a big scrapbook. I throw it in the trash. I'll tell you how much it means. I have no idea where my purple robe is. Really? Yeah, I have no idea where my, I, I left it in Columbia. When they ran me out of town, I said, y'all have the damn thing. I'm not, I don't, I don't <laughs> no, need I it anymore. That. Well, then I, what do I need a purple robe for? Yeah. Is my wife going to say, hey, will you put that purple robe on tonight? I mean, it's <laughs> Friday. Will you wear that purple robe like you did? No, I just, I've never got, look, I have as many flaws as anybody in the world. 
Some are monumental. I am ashamed and embarrassed of some of the things I've done and said. But seeking attention has just never been uh, one of those. It really and truly has not. And and in politics, self-promotion is to your advantage. I mean, it very much is. And there are those out there who are shamelessly self-promoting themselves, their brand, there's financial gain, there's fame and notoriety that goes along with that. Um, I've just never, that's never floated my boat. That's I've never had a lot of interest. Maybe it's where I come from. Uh, Tim's from Pamplico. I've known Tim all my life. And I think it's a, um, I think humility is respected. Humility is rewarded. And if you, if you try to shine the lights at yourself, it's a different thing if somebody else shines a light at you. But if you try to redirect the lights, I mean, what, what do most of us have a problem with Trump? We love his policies. We love his bombast. We love his aggressiveness. Too much about uh, him. It's too much about him. I mean, that's the one thing that the majority uh, show a little more humility, man. People will give you more of the benefit of the doubt. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.